A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Another episode of the Poor Hitter Podcast. This is episode number 49. Halfway to 100. It's a good feeling. Didn't know where I would end up when I started this, but it's a good feeling to be this far into the podcast world. Um, I mean, I'm having so much fun doing it. Really grateful for the opportunity to have people want to talk fantasy baseball with me and... Yeah, whether it's uh, people with 30,000 followers or someone with 100. Just great getting on the mic, sharing thoughts, wisdom, advice, whatever we feel like talking about. So um, before we get started, I just wanted to again thank all the listeners and everyone who's taken the time out to throw the podcast on and give me a review and... DM me with some awesome feedback. It's really been overwhelming at times, but extremely grateful. It's really um, satisfying for me. Um, Gives me all the funny feels inside, let's just say. So, again, everyone, thank you so much um, from the bottom of my heart. It means a ton. So, um, yeah. Um, I've been getting a ton of feedback from the last couple episodes, um, from the main event NFBC talk, the marathon sessions. (laughs) Uh, Again, I apologize if the podcasts are a little long in length, but um, the material I felt like was too impossible to eat, to A, edit, and B, um, I really don't like to turbo through my questions or uh, when my guests are in the middle of, of, of talking and giving their thoughts. Uh, I never want to interrupt it. And I feel like that's where we get the best material is through that constant, you know, talk that, that, that full one or two minute, um, thoughts about the question I, that, that hand or whatever topic came up. So I feel like that's where we get the best podcasting. Um, so I just let it rip. I just let it roll. Um, Hopefully the length isn't too much of an issue, but um, I think what's being included in the podcast is definitely worthwhile. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging on through those big episodes. Um, yeah, we have got a ton of feedback on, on how it's been helping people, getting ready for their main events, or even just trickle down to regular leagues. A lot of people have given me feedback on that too, saying it's not just, you know, they don't play the main event, but it's just great process and, and, and insight into what it takes to be a good fantasy player and the resources they can find to use and to evaluate players and such. So, um, yeah, 
So great, thank you for listening again. If you feel compelled to leave a rating and review, take a snapshot on Apple Podcasts, send it to me at my DM on Twitter, at DeadPoeHitter, and I'll send you some swag. You could also find the podcast at PoeHitterPod and PoeHitter.com. In this episode, I bring on Rob Silver, the 2016 main event overall winner. Talk about main event strategy, amongst other things. Rob is also a member of the Launch Angle podcast. It's where you could hear his thoughts weekly. Um, yeah, I really enjoy the way Rob thinks and breaks down players. You'll hear it him talking about his process and his way of thinking. He's like the probabilistic thinking and just giving realistic expected range of outcomes for players and being realistic with your evaluations. And, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's really something that everyone could learn from. I know I have, um, trying to use it more in my evaluations. So I think you guys are going to get a ton of information and insight from Rob. And yeah, um, f- before we get started with the episode, just wanted to let you guys know that I'm going to be attending the main event draft live in New York City on Saturday. It'll be my first live event for the NFBC. I'm truly excited and I'm hosting a post-draft podcast right after the draft is done. So if you are playing in main events this weekend, tune in. I'm probably going to shoot live and, you know, maybe get some insight from the the players in the draft and, you know, how they thought the draft went. And, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that on Saturday. should be truly exciting. I'm excited for the whole live aspect of drafting so um yeah let's get into this episode all righty folks welcome back to another episode of the pull hitter podcast tonight today actually it's yeah 1 30 in the afternoon um we're gonna keep the nfbc main event strategy train rolling to try to get your edge in your main events coming up and today i bring on mr rob silver rob how are you doing today I'm good. And before you ask me your first question, I, I two two quick comments. First comment is if you haven't hit it in the first three hours of NFBC strategy, do you really think there's a lot of stuff left that you didn't care uh, cover with uh, with uh, Phil and Toby last uh, time around? But second of all, like look, like lots of us, I'm a competitive guy, uh, so I'll warn you. Whatever your first question to me is. I may just take that question and give you an hour and a half answer. Like I may go full Fidel Castro on you with whatever you ask me. So make that first question. Like, how's your day going? I may just go off because if we're going to fill three hours, like I've got to start early. Certainly when, certainly when we get into substantive player analysis, I'm not going to have a lot to say. So it's going to have to be on the bullshit early side that I, that I try to fill up my, my three hour allotment. (laughs) Another question to you. Did you guys give those guys like bathroom breaks while you were recording three hours or did they just sit on the couch or wherever they, they were recording for, for three hours straight? They didn't, they, they didn't request any. I mean, I would have gladly gave it to them. You know, I feel Phil's a robot. So I don't know if he, if, if he, you know, if he has to, Stuart, if he has, has to release bodily breaks. fluids or not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's done the analysis. It doesn't add anything to the model. Peeing, yeah. peeing, peeing is a net negative. Uh, yeah. So he's decided just not to pee this year. If, yeah. Like if, a- <laughs> look, if, if new data comes at, uh, forward and tells Phil that he should start peeing, of course, he'll adjust the model. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of this year, so I know I spoke to you earlier in the year. I wanted to get you on the podcast. You 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 were kind of unsure about, you know, whether you were going to dip your toe into the fantasy waters this year. So I'm glad to see that you did because, you know, I was catching your tweets and I'm like, man, this guy sounds really prepared for someone who who's doesn't plan on playing this year. So, um, ex, ex, you know, walk us through why you decided to you know, sure. get back it into was- the arena. What it, what it really wasn't, and I totally get why people may think I'm, I'm full of shit on this. Uh, it wasn't Hamlet-like. It was not me just creating drama like will Rob play or not, because I, I know uh, there is literally nobody in the world uh, other than maybe myself and, and perhaps my, my family uh, who cares. Um, it's it sound, it's going to sound cliche to people. People talk about the community in the NFBC. People talk about like the, the experience and the friends. For me, I, I love playing fantasy baseball. I love playing in the NFBC. Going to Vegas is a big part of it. Uh, it's not the only part, but it's a big part of it. I've been doing it for a long time now. I have close friends that I see a couple of times a year. I see at First Peak Pitch Arizona uh, in the fall, and I see in March in Vegas. And for a variety of reasons, it was very, very clear to me um, because of COVID, because of travel restrictions. I'm in, in Canada uh, because of vaccine. I'm not, haven't been vaccinated yet. We're a little bit behind the U.S. I won't be vaccinated uh, in the next week. Uh, that Vegas was just not on for me uh, this year. And it was sort of devastating, the realization. Like I, this, this was back christmas time like this is just not happening we're into another year it's going to be 2022 before i get this again and i was having a real struggle like do i want to put in the time and effort and gear up for something that's only going to be half fun for me um that's only going to be half the experience for me and at first um I was like, yeah, maybe I'll just take the year off. Uh, like, maybe I'll wait until 2022 when I can do it for real again. But then, like the guy who swears on New Year's Eve, I'm not drinking. I'm going cold turkey. Yes, you, you, you have. Well, you know, I can have a light beer every once in a while. And then you say, you know, as long as it's only Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I'll be fine. And suddenly you're crunching numbers on what Kenta Maeda's splits are against non-AL Central teams uh, in non-domes. And you're like, yeah, I guess I'm in this. So uh, so that's the long the long answer. But but we still have two, two hours and 55 minutes to fill. So I, <laughs> I, I apologize that that couldn't, wasn't uh, even longer. No, that was awesome. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm... But, it, but it's real. So you're going, you're going to New York to do your first ever live NFBC draft uh, in, yes. in, in hours. Like you can, you can count it down now in hours. At count this point. it down. My nerves are withering away. And no. Um, so I, I know, have... I know you're prepped, like in terms of the player pool, in terms of draft strategy, obviously you're adjusting things. Uh, hour by hour as news comes out as things like that. What do you, what are the things that, that, compared to drafting online that you're the most nervous about uh, going to New York for your first live life draft. And uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, obviously Mark DeRivo has put it into my head that he's going to create the most chaos he can, but um, no, besides that, you know, I, I, I guess just, 
just being in the room, just, I guess I just have to silence the, the noise in my head and just focus on like Steve Brunner, I had Steve Brunner on the podcast and he goes, I just concentrate on the draft board. It's just me versus the draft board. So I have to develop that mentality. I think it's, um, you know, um, I think it's just the first time I get being in a real competitive room with some pretty great players. So I guess, you know, I'm just going to have to silence those nerves, but I pretty much think that's it. You know, I, I'm prepared. Um, well, you know, been preparing since, you know, November for this moment. So um, you're right. It's just at this point, it's tinkering with news and, you know, how much does the spring training, you know, matter? How much does, does, does am I being too uh, microscopic on things that are happening now or not? So one piece of advice I would give, and, and this applies to anybody, whether you're doing an NFBC draft online, but even more so in person, there is an unconscious, because it's not conscious, uh, there's an unconscious desire to, it's, you know, it's, it's from two perspectives, to impress the people around the table with you and a fear of being embarrassed in front of the people at your table. So we all, again, I don't think it's conscious. Nobody goes to a draft saying, I'm going to get the guy sitting next to me to say nice pick after my seventh round pick. Hmm. Nobody thinks that way. But subconsciously, I think a lot of us are terrified of making a pick and having the guy next to you to, to, to like lean to his partner or her partner and say, what the hell is that? I had them ranked in my in the 12th round and that this idiot just took him in this fifth round. Ha ha ha. And there's a fear of that embarrassment or the desire to say, man, you're killing it in those first 10 rounds when you take the break at the end of the 10th round. And it's easy to say, well, I'm not like that. Like, I'm just going to do my thing. I've put in the work. I've put in the hours. I'm just going to execute my plan. That's what Gecko says. That's And and he's obviously, he, he's been doing it for a while, and he's had a lot of success doing it. So, so we're very good at that, and he's trying to live rent-free in everybody else's head during the draft. <laughs> yeah. But you really need to go into the draft saying, I could not care less what anybody else thinks about what I'm doing. Right. Uh, in fact, the more people are baffled or bemused or unimpressed, the better off I am. Uh, right. I am not trying to do it. And you know, when I hear people who have trouble with this, and we all strike we all struggle with this. I'm not saying that I don't deal with it, um, is when I hear people say, I didn't really like that player, but I felt I had no choice to take with him. I mean, look at his ADP. I just said a new max pick. I had, I had to do it. That's in some ways a version of I was trying to impress the people around the table because that's, that's a version of, holy cow, I can't believe Rob just got him uh, there. Right. And there's, there's a point to drafts, and, and I'm not saying, therefore, you shouldn't take guys who fall, and, and maybe that's the right answer, but it should have nothing to do with, like, let me tell you how awesome that was. Right. I will, in the, I'm doing my, my first draft of the year, unlike you psychopaths who've been drafting now for six months. Uh, I'm doing my first, my first main and my first draft of the year on Saturday. And I can tell you, if my draft goes according to my plan, which we'll see, but, but according to my plan, I will draft a player in the fifth round who has not gone earlier than the seventh round in a single draft this year. Wow. Uh, and that's the plan. That's yeah. what I'm going in hoping to do. 
uh, it may not happen. Somebody else may like who, who if, if my third round pick is somebody else, it may cascade in. But that's my plan. Nobody will say I can't. Well, they may say I can't believe Rob just took him there, but it won't be because that was awesome. Right. It'll be what's he doing. And I could be I could be 100 percent wrong. I could be out to lunch with the pick. It's incredibly possible that that's the case. In fact, likely that's the case. Um, but that's what I'm going there to do. I'm not going there to for people for for me to win the like post draft. Look who won the standings or who got the most like picks over under ADP thing that they do. That's not my goal. Maybe you'll get even just one person to like search that play that you just took in like maybe the Twitter news and like, did I miss something? If you get one person off draft off the track, right, that that'll be a, like a good goal. <laughs> well, well and, and there's a there's few enough means that first weekends that when people start using the ADP from the means, it'll stick out like a sore thumb because right. a guy whose ADP is call it in the hundreds now. Uh, will suddenly, if if I've done that, have but almost by definition uh, an ADP twenty picks uh, before uh, where he's going uh, right now, and I could not give a damn. You know what? That. So that's my advice. That would be my advice to anybody doing an NFPC draft uh, uh, for the first time: is don't right. be goofy about it. Don't like like I sound like I'm just cavalier of like it's not that. Like do the homework, put in the hours. But I know you've done that already. But you're not there to impress people. And everybody knows that consciously. It's be aware of the subconscious uh, right. elements to it because it's really real once you're sitting there. And it's even worse if there's five, like when you're in Vegas in a typical main, this year may be a little bit smaller, but it's, they're doing really well. Uh, there are seven or eight or nine mains sometimes going on at the same time. So you're hearing names being thrown out from all over the room and it can mess with you. It's right. like, I want to take this player now in the eighth round, but I just heard that draft, which I know is in the 12th round, and that guy, guy went. If somebody just took them in the 12th round, should I be really taking him in the eighth round? Like, right. I screwed up something here? Right. And it can mess with you. It messed with me in my first main event that you were um, in as well last year. Um, I had, you know, just like you said, I had planned for a couple of min picks and when it punched me in the mouth and I didn't happen, um, I got a little, you know, sent sideways. I, I had some backup plans, but I, I was so sure I was going to get this, this person, you know, like 20 picks ahead of EDP and it didn't happen. I'm, someone else beat me to it. Two picks before me. I'm like, oh man, you know, and it's just, yeah. you, you know, you got to get past that. Like, you know, the brain is powerful. And um, so, this year I need to work past that because I think it hung on me for like a round or two. And I was like, this sucks, you know? So um, something I got to work through in case it happens. Well, not in case it happens when it happens this year, when it happens. And that's a yeah. big difference between doing DC's uh, slow drafts at home. And, and the, the main is uh, you get messed up with a pick in, in a slow draft. By definition, you could take three hours, four hours, figure it out, like regroup. I'm, I'm going for a walk. Right. Uh, it is different when you're on the clock and you have a minute to figure it out. Listen to a three-hour podcast <laughs> while, exactly. while you're going for that walk. <laughs> no, 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 but nobody would do that. But in theory, that would be a possibility. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay, so um, before we get into real some real main event strategy, just talk. Just walk. What are you talking about? Wait, whoa, whoa! This was my main. Oh shit! That was all I had. No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's it. No more main event. No. Um, So just. Just walk through uh, an average fantasy player who may be just getting involved in main event or NFBC and just maybe some simple, you know, advice on like, you know, how to get better as a fantasy player. What kind of tools are you using? What kind of websites or, you know, how to get better as a fantasy baseball player? Um, I, I loved I loved what the, the podcast you did with with Mark with Gecko where he says look I've I've got a few get go to sites most of you have never heard of this Fangraphs before that's given away this information for free um, so I I I, I use uh, Fangraphs uh, I use Baseball Reference a lot uh, it was interesting to me earlier this winter I I mentioned like somebody else said why in the world would anybody use Baseball Reference it's it's like it was the VHS or like CD players of uh, baseball uh, websites. It's like, hey, old man, who who uses this website? Baseball Reference is awesome, and it has all kinds of tools that do not exist on Fangraphs. So, for example, when I tweet out, um, uh, I tweeted today about Max Scherzer that uh, you know number number of pitches thir- pitchers thirty six or older who have had two hundred and fifty plus uh, strikeouts and a sub three. Uh, ERA. Um, You could figure that out on fan graphs, but it would be very clunky and take you a lot of time. On baseball reference, it takes you literally 30 seconds. And there's all kinds of things like that where baseball reference is still awesome. Uh, I use obviously Savant and Brooks baseball uh, a ton. Um, And they're they're different. You got to be careful about the differences, and I use them for different uh, things. But I but I do I I don't overuse them. Some people I think may use. uh, We can talk. We can get into the Statcast a little bit too much and uh, use uh, use them the way a uh, a drunk uses light posts. They use it for support rather than illumination, Uh, Mm. and that's a real uh, a real danger with some of. the uh, the newfangled metrics that are out there. Uh, I use Alex uh, Chamberlain's uh, incredible. Uh, <clears throat> uh, what what do we even call it? Pitch leaderboard. Uh, p- pitch leaderboard. It's so uh, much more than that. <laughs> it's um, it's everything. Almost everything else out there. I could rec- if the, if if it went away, I could recreate or get the information. It may not be as accessible as Alex's website, but I could do it. Uh, if Alex's website just crashed, if he just decided like, screw this, I'm not giving this away for free anymore and I'm not selling it to you. It's just, it's mine. Uh, I don't know how I could recreate it. It really is indispensable. Right. Um, I, st- I, I, I am one of those weirdos who is very happy to pay for quality content. So I uh, pay for Baseball HQ. I pay for a whole bunch of uh, sites uh, in part because I find them useful. Uh, and in part because uh, they pay their writers and I want them to, uh, I think it's important for writers to get uh, paid. So I, I subscribe, subscribe to HQ. Um, the, um, the Athletic 
has become a really good source for me uh, for local beat news. Like, you know, my, my podcast uh, colleague, Jeff Zimmerman, does an amazing job on mining the news, but he's one human being with a, a Google account. Uh, you can't get to everything, so you got to put in the work yourself. The athletics uh, interface annoys the crap out of me. Their search engine really bugs me. I right. wish it was organized in a better way. Like if I want to just see, like they need a roto wire or a, like some kind of an engine to easily see the news <clears throat> because what's actually on the website is possibly the greatest composite of um, sources on what's going on out there. You just, it, you have to spend an hour each morning going team by team to see what they've put up there uh, for the team. Uh, I'm paying for it. Like you should make my life a little bit easier. The flip side is they don't. So I put in an hour each day right now to go team by team because uh, it's either me or hope Jeff gets this stuff. Uh, right. Right. So that's a lot. That, so then there's other, there's other stuff. Uh, I don't read as much as I used to. Like I used to, read basically every person who is putting out a these are my 10 breakout pictures and these are my uh stuff there's it's two for two reasons uh it's no disrespect to the people doing the work it's amazing um there's too much right and it gets into my head well, some people can consume that much information and i used to be able to consume that much information uh like opinion information not factual uh uh it's not that's that's a poor way of phrasing it. The people writing the opinion stuff, most of them have facts to back up their uh, opinions. Uh, I used to read everything. Now I read almost nobody's analysis. I want to I want to see um, I want to know what's going on. I can make up my own conclusions. And there are some exceptions. There are some writers that I, I still uh, make a point of reading, but it's just uh, just my process that I find uh, is helpful for me. But again, I, I think it's amazing how many it's uh, really in. And again, I know I sound like the old man now. We're in a golden age of information, of tools. When I think back to when I started doing this, how few, how excited I would get on like a Friday when Ron Chandler's column would get put put up because there just weren't that many people talking about this thing uh, right. anymore. Now you, you could literally spend 20 hours a day reading fantasy baseball content, especially this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. You can make yourself dizzy and overload yourself with, um, you know, stuff that maybe is not even useful for you. So actually, that's a perfect segue because you mentioned the information age, you know, and it is trending upward. So how do you differentiate what could move the needle in your favor in terms of player evaluation, like uh, maybe even in terms of metric? Like if you see something, are you like, do you do like back test or how do you like say this, this can be useful? I'm using this. So I'm a little bit different from Phil uh, in the sense that I do pee and I am not a robot. No, I'm just joking. And he, I hope he knows when I make jokes like that. Uh, I, it's because I, I think he's both, both brilliant and a really good guy. Um, so, my, But my process is a little bit different. I, uh, I am a big believer in probabilistic thinking. Uh, and... Um, the single, I've said this in a few places, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not ashamed to say it. The best fantasy baseball source you can read. If you are a good fantasy baseball player and want to try to become a better fantasy baseball player, if you're just, if you've never played it before and you've weirdly just come onto this podcast to listen for the first time, the single best thing you can possibly read on fantasy baseball is a book called Super Forecasters. 
and it of course has nothing to do with fantasy baseball. It's Super Forecasters uh, is a book about what makes forecasters more accurate uh, than others. What what leads to accurate forecasting. And Super Forecasters is actually kind of a, a, a competition, a contest that, uh, that this group has run. And they'll forecast things like, um, they'll, they have a whole panel of competitors. So they'll have, I, I can't remember how many there are, let's call it a thousand people. And these are generalists. So these are not experts in one specific area. And they'll ask them a question like, on what date will the 100 millionth vac COVID vaccine be administered in the United States? Pick a date. And or what will Bitcoin be trading at on December 31st, uh, 2021? And so these are, well, we don't know. Like it's, it's unknowable. Uh, we're projecting forward. But you can use analysis to kind of figure out, like, the U.S. is administering X million doses of the vaccine per day if this trend continues, but the following risk factors. So I think it's between and, and you can get uh, you can get as close as you, you get. But then they do analysis on what it is that the thought process on, that makes somebody more accurate uh, or less accurate. And if you think about it, when we're playing fantasy baseball, that is basically what we're doing. Uh, it's, it's, and, and some of the questions that they ask are super serious. Will there be a war between country A and country B before this date? Wow. Well, that's a pretty serious, uh, yeah. thing. Uh, or it can be super silly. Like how many Oscars will, I don't, I don't know even, I can't name a movie that got released this year. Well, this movie, uh, win, uh, this year. Yeah. I mean, who cares, but you've asked me this question. Let me do analysis on each of the categories and come up. Um, that is sort of what we're doing when we play, uh, fantasy baseball at its, at its core. And one of the big takeaways of this book, uh, which again, go and read it. It's, it's, there's an audio version. If you don't like actually reading, uh, you can listen, uh, uh, to the book, um, is about probabilistic uh, thinking. So it, it's two actually, two big takeaways that I think are, are really important for fantasy baseball. One is probabilistic thinking, which is I think there is a 30% chance this event happens. There's a 50% chance this, this happens and a 20% chance uh, this happens. If this variable changes, so what's, what's a, a good, uh, if, um, if Victor Robles hits leadoff all season, I think the odds, if he hits leadoff and stays healthy for more than 150 games, I think there's an 85% chance he scores 100 runs. So I'm, I'm just making up numbers, obviously, on the mm -hmm. fly here. So what are the odds? Let's, let's break down those components. What are the chances that he hits leadoff? Well, based on spring training box scores, I know that Washington is trying him out at uh, leadoff. What are the alternatives that they have? Well, they have a, a decent uh, hitter named Trey Turner uh, who could hit uh, leadoff. So what percentage of games that he plays do I think he'll hit leadoff? Let's say I say it's 65% of the games he's going to uh, hit leadoff. And I go through that analysis. Then it's what percentage, what's the likelihood of he stay, him staying healthy? Well, he's 14 years old. Is he 14 years old or has he turned 15 already? He's very young still. Victor <laughs> yeah, Robles. He's a young boy. Yep. Uh, so I, I know that, but then I go through his uh, injury uh, history. And um, 
And then I say, well, how do leadoff hitters uh, do typically and specifically on Washington and specifically Washington uh, with a pitcher uh, hitting? Because I think it's like I'm, when I do this, it's 90 percent likely that he's going to have a pitcher uh, hitting in front of him. Um, so what does that mean? Not just for his runs, but for his RBIs. So as opposed to when you ask me, like, so what's my process? I try to do that kind of thing for every uh player and it's really time consuming and there's a lot of variables and it's not like when you look at steamer you look at the bat um they are and a lot of people don't appreciate this so steamer the bat any projection model is is shooting out the 50th percentile uh projection for that player so they do when you download off fan graphs the steamer projections that is a number. They are projecting Victor Robles for 83 runs. Again, I'm just making up the number. I don't know off the top. Of, I'm not. I'm, I'm not a robot. Uh, I'm not Rain Man. I don't know off the top of my head exactly how many uh, runs Steamer has projected for Victor Robles. They're projecting 83 runs, and Steamer does take into account uh, batting order. They do ta- take account uh, lineup uh, strength, and they are saying that is the 50th percentile, the most likely uh, outcome. And that's really useful information. Like that is the most likely outcome. They're not making a claim though, that there isn't 50. If you, if you could, if you could simulate the season a million times, steamer would say that's the one that, that would happen the most often. That's the middle of the projections, but there's, there's 500,000 seasons that are, are better. Now, some are, are infinitesimally uh, better. Some are like it, one extra run, one extra uh, point of WOBA, whatever you want to say. Some are way better though. The 90th percentile, 95th percentile, 99th percentile. They're not making any claims about those seasons. And conversely, there's the way worse options. I mean, the most obvious one is playing time. That's not them, but they would recognize that that happens. But even performance-wise, uh, a distribution of outcomes would recognize Victor Robles could have bad BABIP uh, luck. He could have bad home run to fly ball uh, uh, luck. He may get worse as a player. There's all kinds of things that would happen. So thinking probabilistically, I think, is is a big takeaway. The other thing, just, just before we uh, move off of this question, I can't even remember what the question uh, was anymore. Uh, Super Forecaster really emphasizes, and I think this is for 2021 fantasy baseball, the like so important, uh, being humble. They found that the people who are really successful forecasters uh, are super humble, not in terms of like, oh, I'm in, not being self-deprecating. I'm such an idiot. Like, ha, ha, ha. It's not even being a good guy, hum, but humble. Uh, by humble, they mean, my goodness, there's a lot of things that go into figuring out what where Bitcoin is going to be trading on December 31st, 2021, 20, uh, that I don't know, that are unknowable. Uh, because of the nature of cryptocurrency and trading. And therefore, I'm not going to clump on to one fact and be, I am absolutely certain this is where it's going to be. And I see, and I mean, look, especially on Twitter, especially in high stakes <laughs> fantasy baseball, we all are certain to a certain extent alphas and like want to look like I am certain about this. You're an idiot for thinking like this. Um, I think we are all very well served. And, and ultimately, when you sit down at the table, when you sit down at an auction, 
I need I need a, a, a valuation like I need a number. Uh, you can't go into a draft saying, well, as Rob Silver said, there is a range of outcomes uh, here. Victor Robles could do this. He could do this. And because Greg is going to be standing over you and be like, uh, Rob, you have 10 seconds left. And it's like, oh, shoot. Well, I, I guess I should think about the next. Like you need you need at a certain point to boil it down to a number. And I right. recognize that. But I think it is so important this year to acknowledge um, uh, here is my case for this player, but everything I just said could be wrong. Like everything I just said about the starting pitching market, about speed, about how players recover, how players react to not being able to go out on the road because of COVID restrictions. There are so many unknowns like this, this ball that they're going to be playing with. I have no idea what it's going to do. So when I say I am quite convinced this player is going to hit 40 home runs this year, it's like, yeah, I think so. But boy, I could be way off this year, way more than any other year in my memory. Right. Right. And I have to say, it's one of the things I really love about your tweets is that you, you say, oh, so this player is being, this is his, you know, bat X ejection. And then you say, that's funny because I think it was Vado, I think the one that you brought up, or Miggy, one of those older first basemen, and said, because in the history of, you know, baseball, only three first basemen hit these, you know, numbers mm-hmm. at that age. And I, I guess that's maybe part of your probabilistic thinking because um, I, I like it because it, it's, it's a good way of looking at things because it's kind of not a way that I, um, you know, look like I never really went that deep in my brain, but I, it's totally logical thinking as well, too, because, you know, you have to expect that these things can't just miraculously happen for this special player. I think like you play like, unless Joey Votto is this special human being, you know? Well, no, look, uh, it's, it's a, it's a circular statement. And I, I mean, it sort of, um, uh, I mean it the way it comes across. Right. Historic players do historic things. Mm-hmm. So could Joey Votto, uh, you know, I, Joey Votto is, is look, I, if, if, if I, if I could, if I could elect Joey Votto as prime minister of Canada, I would in a second. He is both a great Canadian and a great human being and a tremendous baseball player who is going to, if he doesn't make it to the hall of fame, uh, he's going to get darn close. So is it possible that Joey Votto has a second life uh, in him? Of course it's possible, but I really like, um, I really like putting things into historic terms um, because it's not my, my, when I do that, when I say like Max Scherzer in order to earn his draft cost needs to do something historic. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not even saying that I don't think it will happen. Uh, What I'm saying is you should turn your mind to the fact that you are making a bet that a player is going to do something, if not unprecedented, really close to unprecedented. And if you've done that analysis and come to the conclusion, I believe Joey Votto is a historic player and he shall do something uh, historic in the year 2021. And that is why I'm on uh, Joey Votto. Uh, God bless you. I, 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 I don't want to go into the Adalberto Mondesi. Uh, I'm, I, 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 that's not true. I'm happy. I'm always happy to talk Adalberto Mondesi. Um, Adalberto Mondesi, if, you, if, if he hits his projections, there has never been a player 
quite like him who has done what people think he could do. Vince Coleman is the closest one. And Vince Coleman, of course, was in a very different era of 1980s St. Louis Cardinals go-go uh, uh, era. And Vince Coleman never had the power that Mondesi projects to do. Now, if you're an Adalberto Mondesi believer, you can say, I believe Adalberto Mondesi is potentially a historically good uh, player, and he's more than capable of uh, overcoming the weaknesses. That's that, that's okay. Like, who am I? I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you you're wrong. Uh, but n- acknowledge that's what you're betting. Two, you could say, I think Adalberto Mondesi is not a finished product. He could be better than he is today. So the strikeout uh, rate could come down. The walk rate could go up. Again, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I acknowledge if his profile changes, if he starts striking out less and he starts walking more, then the whole premise of my comment, which is he is trying to do something nobody has done before, is no longer true. That's possible. Uh, Acknowledge, though, that that's what you're uh, buying into, that either he's going to overachieve based on history or he's not going to be the same player. If you believe either of those two things uh, to be true, God bless you. Draft draft away from him. And I'm not telling you it's a bad pick because the projection is the projection. Like the projection is ridiculous for Mondesi. I where 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 I will quibble with people, and there are not that many. I'm not I'm not saying this is what everybody who's drafting Alberto Mondesi is doing. Where I will quibble with people is the people who either look at his last season multiply it by 2.7 times and say, well, that looks pretty sweet on my team. Uh, I don't know that that's a great process or two even, and I don't think there are a lot of people uh, who, who do that. Uh, I really don't. Uh, Or two, just take a projection, plug it into a valuation model, go on fan graphs, auction calculator and say, well, I, I, I'm going to boost up his playing time a little bit, and he's the number four player. He's the number whatever uh, player, and I think he's even better than that. Uh, if your analysis stops there, then I don't think your process is as complete as it could be. Interesting. So you're mentioning projections. I yep. wanted to know how you use them, if you use them, what's your process of your player evaluation? Um, is it an SGP style um, valuation system? If you, you know, if you would decide to want to talk about these things. Right? Yeah, no, no. Like, I, I, again, I'm like, uh, I'm like Phil, mine has not been developed by uh, three computer scientists uh, <laughs> at, uh, hired away from uh, the Pentagon, uh, who now uh, devote themselves uh, 19 hours a day to improving my fantasy baseball projection model. So I am an SGP guy. I have been since I read a little book by a guy named Art McGee, uh, maybe 20 years ago. People don't realize this. Uh, Art McGee, who may or may not be his real name, he wrote this this tiny little black book that you used to be able to buy off the baseball HQ website. And he was an options trader out of Chicago and he developed this crazy valuation model for fantasy baseball called SGP uh, standing game point. And when you read it the first time, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Uh, It sounds wicked smart what you're talking about, but, and I'll, I know how, enough about Excel that I can set up a, a model uh, to, to take stats and turn it into, into fantasy points and f- ultimately fantasy dollars. And he does walk you through the whole process. And 
it's um there are people like todd zola who would say it's a flaw it's not a, that it's it's not the best method of uh valuing uh fantasy baseball players uh it works really well for me and it works really well for leagues that you've been around for a long time it doesn't work at all if you join a brand new league that has a weird number of teams or a weird number of categories. At that point, it is largely useless. So I'm very good at this point with SGPs. I know how to use it. I know how to set it up and I I use it frequently um, because I'm all about taking stats and, and, and turning it into valuation. I need to know ultimately when I come up with that number, what it means for fantasy. Uh, and for, for my teams and for drafts. Um, I am a major consumer of projections. Uh, I look at every projection that I can get my hand on. Uh, I play with them. I try to take them apart. I try to look at and go back previous years. So I have like a collection of old ones on where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. Um, so like I understand, I think at this point, what Steamer's blind spots are. And they have blind spots. Uh, I also think I have a pretty good feel for what their strengths are. And their strengths are way bigger uh, and way more important than their blind spots. Um, This year, so so yes, I I use uh, projections. Uh, I do not take projections and that is my draft list. uh, And that is my, uh, what I'm walking into a room with. I make my own uh, projections that are a um, composite of all of these things, of all of the probabilistic analysis uh, that I do, as, as Phil mentioned on, on your podcast last time, playing time is such a big one. Right. And I, I, I agree with him, getting playing time right in some ways is more important uh, than any of the inputs uh, beyond that. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, I'm trying to lose weight. I can work out or I can diet. Right. And everybody will tell you, well, it's 80% uh, diet, 20% work, working out, which doesn't mean you shouldn't work out. You really, really should work <laughs> out, but it's your diet. And getting the playing time right is, is that the problem is it's unknowable today. Right. Uh, right. So it's, it's not like diet in that sense. I can tell you what you should eat if you want to, not you. I, should, I can tell one what to eat uh, if, they, if you want to lose weight. Playing time, it's like it, it changes every day. It's right. guy gets hurt. So we're, we, we have so such imperfect uh, inputs that the 20% on the other side, we can, we can, in, we, we can get better at but the the, uh, the the playing time component is so important uh, to it. But yeah, I think I think projections are great. People who dismiss projections out of hand, um, I think are. I mean, again, you use use whatever is best for you, whatever works uh, for you. But it's not dismiss them out of hand. It's not be slaves to them. It's a fascinating year though for projections, right? Right. Because because of the question how to incorporate how to incorporate 2020. uh, Again, um, be humble about it. Uh, I think they've all tried their best. Um, But here, here, let me give you an example. What do you do with Marcus Stroman? Yeah. So so projection a typical projection model. If you if you just missed a season. 
there has to be an assumption that like you you were hurt you're a year older uh therefore if nothing else the aging curve has to have come down and because all projection not all projection models i shouldn't say that because code is different there are different ones a tradition a traditional like marcel um redundant uh projection model so one that starts off with a weighted average of uh the past however many seasons would take marcus stroman will drop off his third last season or his fourth last season or whatever the season that fell off because that's too old now we're not incorporating that uh year and he's a year older so tell me is marcus stroman a worse as of today than he was a year ago because because if you look at steamer i don't have the number right in front of me um and you looked at his preseason projection last year and his preseason projection today um he is a worse pitcher keep the Mets like as a constant and, and Shay as, as a constant uh, there. And I totally understand why steamer has to say Marcus Stroman is a worse pitcher than he was uh, last year. Um, and yet if you stop and think about it, I could make you as many arguments about why Marcus Stroman having a fresh arm coming into this uh, uh, season and just working out uh, for a year may actually have made him a much better uh, pitcher than he was uh, last year. And maybe the uh, starting pitchers taking time off will become the next new thing. Uh, I don't actually, because of money, I don't know that how that would actually, uh, you know what I mean? So, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and, and that's an extreme example, the guys who just didn't play. And I picked right. Marcus Stroman as opposed to David Price because he's younger he's and it's younger, just yeah. an, an easier like, yeah, I don't know what the Dave Price is going to get into the rotation. Let's presume he's in the rotation for 15 starts and in the pool. Like, I don't want to, I'm not, that's not my point. Right. It's just like, why is Marcus uh, Stroman worse? And, and I'll ask you the, like, if I were whatever, Jared Cross, the, the founder of Steamer or Todd Zola or anybody who has to put out a projection, the response is, well, give me the counterfactual, Rob. Like, what am I supposed to do uh, instead? Yeah. I get that your gut is, well, maybe he's even better than he was last year or no different. Did, should I just freeze everybody's uh, projections and protect, pretend like 2020 just didn't happen? Because as much as we'd all like to forget 2020, 2020 did happen. We can't just pretend like it didn't, it didn't happen. Who is the example I was looking at the other day? Josh Rojas. So hot, hot, you know, topic uh, uh, in Arizona. Josh Rojas had seventy really bad plate appearances last year, and because of the weirdness of 2020. So in a regular season, um, Josh Rojas has seventy really bad uh, major league plate appearances, and but is in AAA the rest of the season. And let's assume his AAA numbers are exactly the same, if not better than they had been previously. A projection model would look at those 70 plate appearances of crap in the majors and take it for what it is. They happened. He did struggle for 70 plate appearances, but then they'd see 450 plate appearances in AAA and see like 19 home runs, 12 stolen bases, good OBP, you know, no high contact uh, profile, the exact same profile he had a year ago. And would incorporate both of those things, do a major league right. equivalence for that, and spit out that Josh Rojas is no different than he was a year ago. Uh, or is he even better than he was a year ago because those 70 major league plate appearances uh, um, 
get swallowed up by everything else. Right. Whereas right now, if I'm Steamer, the only thing I know about Josh Rojas from 2020 is he was god-awful in 70 plate appearances. And therefore, the conclusion, his true talent, his 50th percentile outcome that is the Steamer projection, is he has gotten materially worse. Plus, a year has fallen off of his profile, and he is a year older. And hmm. so, pause. Right. Is Josh Rojas worse than he was a year ago? Now... You could make an argument that he is. He did struggle in 70 plate appearances. My counter would be, when have you ever used 70 plate appearances as enough of a sample size to, to, to make a conclusion uh, right. on a player? And yet Steamer has made, not a conclusion, but they have shifted the profile. I don't know what else they're supposed to do, but it's a big problem with projections uh, this year. Does that make sense? Like, I, no, I know that's totally, a long No, it totally um, makes sense. Yeah, ramble, because, but yeah. If yeah, all it, I was doing was shoving my projections into a valuation and spitting out a number, you'd never get at, at asking those uh, questions. Right. Uh, and therefore, I don't, I don't think it's binary. It's not projections or not projections. Right. Because it's important to know what Josh Rojas's true talent is. And the alternative is just, this is my gut. I, re I really like the guy. And, and there's nothing wrong with drafting just, I really like the guy, guys. And we all have those guys. But um, if, if I, I think you're better off, like, using a, if you want to do well. Like, if, if all you want to do is, is uh, I, I, I is, how, how, how close are we to three hours? We still have time. <laughs> um, I had, I, 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 have, I have a text thread with uh, three other NFBC players uh, i don't think they'd mind uh if i if i said it with with scott jenstead who is one of the the smartest funniest best guys uh who plays the game his red wire uh podcast uh is uh the only true no offense to you or to me because we mm -hmm. both have podcasts the only truly must listen podcast there there is is uh is uh his uh sunday night monday morning during the season uh podcast um vlad sedler uh and matt modica so the three of us uh just shoot the shit and just 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 bounce stuff off and we it's it's been a godsend and they're also three guys i really respect uh so they will give me honest advice and honest feedback not not we're, we there's no like conspiring it's what do you think of this player right. and uh you know we all run our own team we have, we think wildly differently about fantasy about players we do our own thing but it's also nice having just people you trust and right. and we make a lot of jokes so i joked with them you know what a fun draft would be and based on adp you could do it uh and i'm obviously a jays fan is you take start from pick 15 and you go starting pitcher Bo bichette then springer vlad and then guriel and you could draft the entire, other than Biggio, because that doesn't really work from an ADP perspective. Uh, you could draft the entire Blue Jays lineup. And how, you won't win. It, it won't be a good team. But how much fun would that be to have that team? If that's the way you want to draft, then, then you don't need projections. You don't need anything. Just draft guys you like, and I'll draft the Blue Jays this year, and it'll be awesome. I'll finish 13th, but I may finish 13th anyway. So how good would it be to just be able to cheer on my Blue Jays all year? Like a good old style uh, DFS stack. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. When it's they go to Buffalo, it'll be amazing. That's interesting. Yeah, no, like I totally understand what you're saying about the whole Josh Rojas thing. It's like, yeah, are, are they still projecting 
part of the is is his 2019 minor league, you know, like you said, is that part of the projection? But I think what you said is is great. Like your whole evaluation system on a pro player basis and then tweaking it as you see fit is huge. Like I think the people who shun a projection are just assuming that people who see a spit out evaluation, you're just going to draft right off of that, you know, and maybe the majority of people do, but I think the smart people in the room will understand they got to go case by case basis. And I think, the, uh, you know, the playing time thing is huge, right? Because I think, maybe like the average person would just say, oh, well, he's batting first. So I'll add 60 plate appearances. Right. So is it, isn't that, it's not that easy. Right. You know, like you said, you're looking at historically, like how many um, Washington national, I go back to the Robles thing, you know, how guy batting first, you know, what's, what's historically been done of, of him with runs and, and RBIs and, and stuff like that. I think when you really get in depth like that, you can make the projections, you know, stronger, as you see fit. Yeah. And, and look, the, the, the pure projection guys will say, but this is what projections are trying to avoid is your own biases. And we all have our biases and that's that they're right. Uh, They're, they're, they're right. Right. Uh, If I'll give you, I'll give you a real life example. So, all the projections right now have Byron Buxton uh, uh, stealing, assuming he stays healthy, 20-plus uh, bases. And I totally understand how they get from point A to point B to get Byron Buxton uh, there. Um, so a bad process, I would argue, is oh, Byron Buxton is such a bum. He's burned me the last five years when I've drafted Byron Buxton. So I'm knocking Byron Buxton uh, down. Uh, because screw, screw Byron. I mean, it's your team. Don't draft Byron Buxton if you don't want to draft Byron Buxton. But, but just like, ah, he's, he's awful. Um, a good process is to look at the stolen base rate of the Twins for the last three years. And Buxton's like similar to what I did with Mondesi uh, in terms of how many stolen base opportunities he gets, where he, I think he's likely to hit in the order, and w- what he needs to do in order to hit 20 stolen bases. And I'm pretty hard. I'm a, I'm a hard under on Byron Buxton's uh, stolen bases. I think he's way more likely to hit 30 home runs, a healthy Byron Buxton, than he is to steal 20, 25 uh, bases. So I knock his stolen bases from from the projections down a fair bit um, that is subjective, but I've done analysis on why I just don't think that again, unless his walk rate changes or his lineup placement changes, that it's very likely. I think, I think is there a 30, 35% chance that he could get to 20 uh, stolen bases? A hundred percent. Like I, I, he is still wicked fast. Uh, so I, I acknowledge that it's possible, but I think like 12 stolen bases is way more likely. Uh, and that's what I do. Could I be wrong? Of course I could be wrong, I, but it's more than just screw Byron Buxton. He's awful. Blah, blah, blah. He's always hurt. Right. That, that, that's a good point. And um I know I wanted to ask you into that stolen bait opportunity um, topic, but before I get into that, I had one question about the SGP and I, I just took this out of the process, um, the book by Jeff and Tanner mm-hmm. Bell, which is great. Um, yeah. It's great to dig into this. And it was just on like, you know, the topic, the page is 86 and it's just the weaknesses of SGP and 
the one thing it says like there are assumptions built into the use of SGP that must be true of the calculation to hold up. For example, if an owner neglects stolen bases the entire draft and then add the player projected for 30 steals late in the round, they can't really expect to move up four spots in the standing. They need to accumulate a baseline number of stolen bases before the SGP factor can be relied upon. Um, can you touch on that a little bit and like maybe explain a little bit more on what that really means? Totally. So for example, uh, I, <laughs> I played in the NFBC diamond uh, league regularly. I'm not this year, but regularly. And a strategy I used in that league was I punted batting average. So it's a standalone league. And when I punt a category, I don't like half punt. I don't say maybe if everything works out, I'll get three points. Um, it's, it's, I am punting it like deliberately and making it disgustingly bad. Same if you're, if you're punting saves, stolen bases, any of those categories. So if you are, if, if, so I, Batting average, though, is a good example. So let's say in round 14, um, my team projected batting average is 220 because <clears throat> I have drafted Joey Gallo. I have drafted every single hitter has a sub 240 uh, projected batting average. <clears throat> and But I need some speed. And Nick Madrigal uh, is sitting there in round 13. And I have Nick Madrigal projected in ordinary times as a $13 player, let's say. The problem is with SGP is that is correct on an average team. Because on an average team, let's say I had Nick uh, projected for a 300 batting average in 600 at-bats, that would work out to that the ratios are a little bit more complicated in SGPs. But yeah. let's say that works out to four, four or no batting average is that four, is, is two SGP uh, gains. It's one of the top batting averages in baseball on an average team. So the right. average team at that point of the draft, let's say, has a 265 batting average projected, and Madrigal knocks me up to a 269, and that's right. worth two uh, projected or three projected savings uh, standings uh, points. On my team, though, in this hypothetical, I have a 220 batting average. Adding Nick Madrigal changes nothing. I go right. from the worst batting average in the league to the worst batting average in the league. It doesn't move me at all. And therefore on my team, despite the fact that an SGP model would say Nick Madrigal is a $13 player. In fact, on my team, he's a $1 player or a negative player because while he still gives me the stolen bases, he's um, negative on home runs, obviously. He's negative on RBIs, uh, presumably. And the batting average, where so much of his value is coming from, helps me not at all. Right. That is a weakness uh, of most projection models in that right, type right. of a situation. Of course, um, yeah. But SGPs are certainly very guilty of that. It assumes that you are at a certain point uh, to get there uh, before you can start moving up uh, the the. The, uh, the standings right. and it assumes you're going to be there. You may not be there. And if you're not there, then you may, you may be buying stats that you really don't want. And it's, it's misleading. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm trying, um, this off season, I, I made it a case to try to get uh, a little more 
familiar with that method. So I was reading into it, you know, talking to guys like Phil and about it too. So um, it, does he it's use, interesting. Does he use, S, does he, I'm curious, does he use SGP or is he, is that a, a classified, uh, you need to get through a security clearance before you can find out if he uses uh, SGPs for his valuations? I'm pretty sure he uses some kind of version of it for But it's perfect, know. but it's perfected. There's, it's a <laughs> third, third derivative. He, as opposed to a Chicago options trader like Art <laughs> McGee, he's, it's, it's, it's using some, some new exotic math formulas that nobody's ever heard of before. So, invented, invented just for his model. That's it, just for his model. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm, ju I'm just trying. I'm getting used to learning about the SGP. So when you let's just say you are punting something, right? Can do you change? I know that the, the SGP values or the input. Do you change it? Like if you wanna, um, let's say, punt stolen bases, do you change a person's, um, I guess, input? Like, do you dumb down the category and you lessen the input? How does that really work? If you so, to so when I did it, I don't yeah. know if this is the right way to do it, but the way I did it was I project, I pretended like there were nine categories instead of ten categories. Gotcha. So I, I, I. It's it, it, it's the, it's the reason why I liked punting batting average because what it did was and, and it just just so we're crystal clear I would never do that this in a competition with an overall uh, prize this right. uh, this is only something I would consider in a standalone league punting batting average punting stolen bases punting uh, saves and there are other people like Vlad Sedler uh, who are very clear I would never punt any uh, thing and I totally get their perspective as well. When you're up against 14 really top uh, players, it can give you an edge to eke out a win in a 15-team right. league <clears throat> punting. Because what it does is I run my valuations now pretending there are nine categories. It shifts the playing board entirely. Right. We're playing a different game now. <clears throat> the other 14 people around the table, of course, have no idea what I've just done because um, <laughs> it's it's my projections. It's my right. model. They're not looking at my computer. Um but suddenly, so when I did it two, three years ago, Joey Gallo became like a first round pick, a second round pick. Now, I may not take him in the first round, but because the world has shifted so much, all the values uh, are different. And batting average more than anything um, causes a dramatic change. So what you don't want to, you can't, you can't really punt. It's really hard to punt. Um, runs rbis or home runs because all of those three ca uh, categories are correlated oh, right. uh, yeah. very closely together if you punt home runs you're you're you are going to punt rbis whether you want to or not there are not right. that many guys who get rbis but don't get home runs yeah, so you haven't Tommy shifted Herb. things you can <laughs> you can you can punt stolen bases especially now really easily the problem is uh, everybody still likes those good players who don't steal bases like right. they're they, they you may you you may want them a little bit earlier, but you haven't moved them off the, the board. Like you haven't changed things that dramatically. Whereas the guys who kill you in batting average, but do other things, um, people will draft them, but, but you suddenly like them a lot more than other people. Right. Right. Makes total sense. Cool. Thanks for clearing that, um, that stuff up. As, um, I guess I'm just trying to learn more about the SGP model. So it's cool. Uh, getting, it's getting a great, insight it's, into that. It's really a great thing to be able to figure out and set up. And it's this is not a complicated uh, Excel sheet or, or Google um, Google sheet to set up because what it means is as soon as you have it set up on your computer, then you can start playing games like 
Uh, how much is Giancarlo Stanton worth if he plays 155 games this right. year? Uh, like you, again, go back to probabilistic thinking. Do I think that's likely? No. Do I think it's possible Stanton stays healthy? Well, of course it is possible that he stays healthy. Um, but I don't want to just know, boy, that would be pretty awesome. Uh, I don't want to just take like steamer and, and add 20% more playing time. I want to know exactly if he does that, like take steamers rates and, and give him 650 plate appearance. How valuable is he? As soon as you have your SGP model uh, set up, you literally just have to just type over your Giancarlo Stanton uh, projection, and you'll know instantly he's the eighth most valuable uh, player in fantasy. Well, holy cow, that's that's interesting news to have. Right, right. And I'm, I'm like a complete spreadsheet bad, so I was using Tanner Bell's, you know, automated uh, He does such good work. Yeah, uh, such good work. And and like you said, that's that's awesome that he could just, you know, play with the plate, you know, plate appearances and you see or play play with the innings pitched and see it move and it's it's it, it's cool to get those range of outcomes that may mm-hmm. happen or may you think happen yeah absolutely that's awesome so on the on your launch angle podcast um i heard you recently talking about jordan montgomery um and you brought up now the, it's good now now stuff's getting real now now we start pissing people off yeah yeah this stop, is great. stop so, bad, start start bad mouthing players that they've been <laughs> drafting all, all all years and get me in trouble but you brought up a great point about people talking about a swinging strike rate, and you brought up the fact that it was only actually eleven swinging strike that differentiated that rate. So, um, get into like how how your mind because I'm starting to get a peek into how your mind works. But tell me, like you know, when you investigate something like that, and and, and you say, "Wow, like this this isn't really what it is," you know, like, uh, you have to look it's, closer. It's it's it's. I, I, it's, it's Jordan Montgomery. I heard somebody say this with, uh, with Eflin, like people are, are you an Eflin fan before I, I come on and start defaming people on your podcast that you really like? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not like one of the ones bumping him up. I just think if he falls to a respectable range, I'll, I'll maybe go for him, but I'm not expecting Have, him to stay on this path of, 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 uh, were, were you a, uh, Eflin fan in previous years or were you like ambivalent, no. like most people, uh, in previous years? I, no, I haven't been a fan. So, so this, is uh, let me, I don't want to misquote anybody. So, so the quote is one of the reasons why I've heard people say that they're high on Zach Eflin is the curveball. And they, they point out like, and they're, 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 their stat is 100% accurate. It's in 2019, Zach Eflin's uh, curve had a 12.9% uh, uh, 12.95% uh, swinging strike rate. In 2020, it was up to 20.3%. Uh, so a big, like, you know, 7% uh, uh, jump in swinging strike rates for the curve. And the curve, he only throws like 12% of the time. So if he could just throw uh, the curve more uh, and, and maybe his sinker a little bit less, there's tremendous upside uh, in that curveball. The problem is, so he threw 118 curveballs uh, in, in, in 2020, like a total 118 um uh, curveballs. So when you say that he had a 7% uh, swinging strike rate uh, jump of the cur- curves, what you're talking about is eight more pitches 
were swung and miss than in previous uh, seasons. If those eight curveballs uh, had been fouled off instead of uh, instead of swung and miss, you wouldn't have noticed the curveball because because you, you you know what his curveball for the most part the reason why and it, it was a good pitch in 2020. But like the year before in 2019, it had a 630 slugging percentage against it. So again, going back to probabilities, is it more likely that he got a little bit lucky with the curveball, that regression is coming with the curveball? Like people hate, people roll their eyes when you use the term regression, like it's a dirty word. But when you're using statistical concepts like swing strike rate, you have to regress it. And it's not that this is suddenly an awesome new pitch. It's probably the same pitch it's always been. And it was just seven more swing and strikes uh, or eight swing and strikes. And um, again, this is the challenge and danger of 2020 is you can't pretend like it didn't happen. Like I am, I am poo-pooing away Zach Eflin's curveball. Uh, People look at Drew Smiley's starts and they say, my goodness, he was a different pitcher. They look at Jordan Montgomery and they're like, look at that. They look at Nick Pavetta's last two starts. And all of these things did happen. Um, I cannot, and it would be ignorant to say, I am drafting this year as if 2020 was a non-event. I am just going to time machine let's time machine drafting we're just going back to 2019 like the whole thing was 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 a bad dream like this is dallas we dreamt the whole year um it did happen but here's a test i've been using in my draft press the prep uh rob uh and i i I don't know if it's going to work for me Hmm. if somebody so with when i'm evaluating a player i ask myself the question if somebody had told me a year ago this happened, that this is where they'd be going, that this is what we'd be thinking about this player. Would I have burst into laughter at the suggestion? Right. And it's, if the answer is yes, that can't possibly be the, the end of the analysis, but it's an interesting reality check because, and and it's by definition subjective. It's not, this is not, this is not Phil stuff. Um, But I'll give you an example. Like I loved Corbin Burns going into last uh, year. I wish I had loved him more because I would have drafted him everywhere. But if you told me a year ago, uh, Corbin Burns figured it all out and is now like a, a, a going in the first four rounds of drafts, I wouldn't have laughed. I would have been like, huh, that's really interesting. But I know I know the slider. I, like, I, I, I see the path for him uh, to get from point A uh, to point B. Um, Whereas if you had told me Marco Gonzalez would be a considered a steady rock for pitching rotations going in the 11th round, I would have been like, sorry, Marco Gonzalez is what now? No, no, no. He's, he's, he is, he's, he's, he's not somebody you want He's not sexy, but boy, he's, he's just like, if you need reliable innings uh, and quality anchor to your rotation, it's, it's Marco Gonzalez where you go. Right. And I'm like, I didn't realize there was another pitcher coming up in the minors named Marco Gonzalez. That's going to be confusing. <laughs> um, I'm being, I'm being obviously um, 
dismissive of Marcus Gonzalez. Uh, he was just, he was somebody yeah. you got at pick 400 a year ago, and I'm not sure yeah. he's much different. And it's... Uh, I see that whole Corbin Burns thing because I he was on my DC winning team, you know, for yes. pick pick 430 on March 6th last year. And yeah, I, I look at him at pick 56 and say, whoa. <laughs> uh, but it's not crazy. The point is, it's not crazy. Zach, not please, crazy. Right. Zach, please. I know it's a requirement for us to talk about Zach, please, on every podcast you, you, you do. Uh, uh, Zach, Zach, please, Zach's crazy. Burns is not crazy. Right. 100%. That's my opinion. No, I, I, I pretty much agree with uh, that. That doesn't mean I'm drafting Corbin Burns. Like, I don't want to hold back and mislead anybody. I'm unlikely to have Corbin Burns on any uh, teams this year, but the skills are ridiculous. And, like, right. would it shock me if a year from now we're drafting Corbin Burns in the second round? No, it wouldn't shock me at all if, right. if Corbin Burns just gets uh, – uh, better uh which is different from saying i want to draft corbin burns right now. right 100 that totally makes sense so are there any other like um metrics or rates besides swing strike rate that you like a little hesitant to you know fully employ to show the small data with um well so, so just just so we're clear um i have no problem analyzing um small data with um with 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 statcast data so with swing right. strike rate with velocity changes um with all kinds of things especially in season you have and t- i mean toby's amazing at uh at this uh and he, he gave glimpses of it on on uh at, 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 i think it was at the hour and 48 minute mark no, i'm just <laughs> uh no like he's amazing at this you have to be willing to uh um, jump in with tiny little granular, you know, exit right. velocity. You need to be willing to look at that and make quick calls on this. If you play fantasy baseball and wait until you have overwhelming evidence something has changed, uh, you're going to mi- you will not be able to pick up any free agents. Like you will be paralyzed all season because things do change and you have to make bets on little pieces of information. But there's a big difference between, um, huh, that guy had uh, a 26% swing strike rate on the, on his uh, his slider uh, in the last two starts uh, way up, and he's using it more. Uh, I don't really like him, but I think I'm going to put a, a, a bid on him in, in, in FAB to see if that's uh, real, and I like his matchup in the next start. That kind of a decision is fundamentally different from – I think Drew Smiley is a different pitcher based on 14 innings or whatever right. it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're just different types of bets. And I pick on Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley, like Alex Anthopoulos runs the Braves, is is a smart, smart guy. It is very possible Drew Smiley uh, has a very good season. I don't know that it's a good bet that I want to make betting on Drew Smiley having that season. Uh, I don't know that it's a good process like saying Drew Smiley is a different pitcher based on tiny, tiny samples that are so noisy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I, it's not, it's not like Rob's the dinosaur who doesn't look at any of this. It's, right, it's right. the opposite. Uh, it's, 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 you, you've asked uh, on a few of your podcasts, like what are your big weaknesses as a fantasy player uh, that you need to work on? That is one of my weaknesses is I am, I don't know if stubborn's the word or skeptical, and it serves me really well uh, 80% of the time, 
really well, like avoiding jumping up at the uh, look at look at the the sexy toy, like jump, come come look at the new thing, come get that. It's right. really good being skeptical and asking questions and yep. uh, hesitant to just be like, my gosh, they've just gone uh, twelve for twenty three. Is it more Ted Williams or is it more like Joe DiMaggio? Time right. will tell which one they're like. Oh. It's good to be skeptical. Or the Kevin Moss, like you yes, mentioned on your Launch Angle podcast yeah. and your fellow launch, uh, your fellow podcast mate didn't know who it was. I was very disappointed uh, at them, 100%. When you pulled out the Moss and no one knew it, I was like, come on. Uh, I had so many <laughs> Kevin Moss rookie cards that uh, <laughs> that summer. I was going to be rich, rich. Um <laughs> But uh, but yeah, but but one of my weaknesses is um, is I, 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 I sometimes am too stubborn and too skeptical. And right. sometimes you I do need to just jump uh, faster uh, right. on uh, guys, especially in season. Right. And I think what's important, too, is like really understanding what you're looking at. You know, I saw like recently earlier in the season I, I saw people tweeting about you know batting averages against certain pitches right and this is one thing like I didn't know about until I actually you know found out that the way it's calculated it's just that last ball that was put into play right so what if you swing and miss the two fastballs and then you boop a fastball into the outfield and it's a hit and then now you're hitting a, a thousand yeah, yeah yeah you know so like uh, i think it's stuff like that where you really like as a fantasy player as you're learning as you're doing your research you know you, you see these numbers the numbers are everywhere oh you see he's hitting 420 against sliders you know but you really have to understand how the number is put together and if it's really worth to look at or not no doubt yeah Awesome. Um, all right. So before one more thing, before we get into the main event strategy is talk about the stolen base opportunity that you mentioned in your, your uh, famous Alberto Mondesi article over on Rotowire. Um, I remember when that was put out, I saw you tweet that out. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Rob wrote something. Let's go read it. Uh, that's nice of you to say. Uh, famous, famous, fam I don't know if you're using famous like sarcastically, but uh, it's nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> so stolen base opportunities is far from a perfect stat. Right. What it means is how often you're on first or second base uh, with the next base uh, unoccupied. So if I uh, and it's how many plate appearances worth of opportunities you have. So if I single with nobody on, uh, with nobody out and the next three batters uh, go out in order, then I've had three stolen base opportunities according to uh, to this stat. I had the next batter, the one with one out, one with uh, two out. And that's stolen base opportunities. And same thing if you're on second. So you, you it's, it's again, it's not perfect just because of uh, how, uh, how often people steal third base, but, but it's the best I think we have. Right. And it's really interesting. So there's there are uh, three components uh, to, to a stolen base. If you just stop and think about what goes into a stolen base, you need to get on base. If you do not get on base, uh, as the old saying goes, you cannot steal first. So you need to be able to get on base. Number two, you need to have an opportunity. You can you can do double the old double steals, uh, but but let's assume you need an opportunity. There needs to be a base for you to uh, steal, and then uh, three. You need to sorry, there are four things. Uh, then you need to decide. I am taking this opportunity, and then it's whether you're safe or not safe. You're how uh, efficient you are in, in stealing bases, and when you break down the numbers, uh, they really go in that order. 
Like it's shocking. So Trey Turner on a per uh, game basis, as I point out in the article, gets twice as many stolen base opportunities per game as Adalberto Mondesi. Like just pause and think about uh, that. Uh, it is, uh, it's just a massive difference. Uh, every game he gets two, Mondesi gets uh, a one opportunity because he just gets on base uh, uh, more often. Adalberto Mondesi, what he has been um, out of this world at so far is even though he gets so few opportunities, and part of it is also lineup uh, places, like there's a bunch of things that go into how many opportunities, uh, how good your lineup is, where you hit, how often the, the, the ninth hitter is on base. So there's a bunch of different uh, things. But Mondesi has run at an unconscious rate, uh, like, a his, again, a historic rate. And when you break down historic base stealers there are there's vince coleman and basically nobody else who has kept it up uh at that rate most of them like there are lots of base runners who've had one season at mondesi's uh stolen base rate but like ricky henderson had a couple of seasons where he was up there but then it would just regress regress down he still ran a ton and obviously ricky henderson got on base a ton so he could steal 100 bases stealing at about 10 percent less uh, per opportunity than Mondesi has. Um, like Billy Hamilton didn't get on base very often, had a couple of seasons where he was running uh, at, at this rate, but then it just regresses uh, down. And when people talk about Mondesi as, look, his floor is so high because he steals so much. Um, if Adalberto Mondesi starts stealing bases at Trey Turner's rate instead of Adalberto Mondesi's rate. So I, I'm not, I'm not picking like Matt Chapman's rate. <laughs> I'm picking like Trey Turner's uh, rate. He's suddenly a 25 base stealer. Now 25 bases in in this day and age is is not nothing. Like Adalberto Mondesi is still a rosterable player, but that's him running at Trey Turner's rate. Assuming wow. he doesn't get any better, that is assuming he doesn't get on base uh, uh, more often, but plays the full season. Right. And I think that um, shocked me, like just that realization of breaking down that uh, the numbers, not that I think it's the most likely uh, outcome, but it's certainly not a crazy range of outcomes uh, either. And that was the reason why I faded Byron Buxton back uh, in the day. It's just a good reality check uh, of how those things can play out in as um, – as batting lineups uh, become solidified, like a Robles, uh, Robles hasn't run at a very high rate. And you can do it the opposite. Like, and again, you don't want to be drunken sailor. Robles is going to steal 60 bases uh, if he's leading off for Washington. It's not that. But you can start running uh, numbers on, well, what if he starts running at Trey Turner's rate? That's not crazy. He's fast enough uh, to do it if he's batting the leadoff. Washington has showed they have allowed Trey Turner to run at that rate. What is what does it kick out on the other side? It's not therefore 50 percentile. That's not the projection for Victor Robles, but it's interesting knowing what's like a non-crazy uh, stolen base. So do that work. Uh, all of that is on baseball reference. All of it's on reference, right? 100%. I love it. I love the breakdown. Um, uh, 
it's just it's just time. It's like, just that's, yeah. It's that that's all that is. There's nothing particularly like my God, Rob, you 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 are a, a math genius or you're a baseball genius. Like how did you come up with this insight, realizing that the things that go into uh, how many bases somebody's going to steal is how often do they get on base, how often do they take the opportunity, how often are they successful? Like it's it's you you, you the brain on you is 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 it should be used on solving world peace instead of fantasy like none of this is particularly <laughs> insightful it's stopping and thinking about it and then putting in the time to 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 see what the number looks like and then what you do with it like who who knows what it uh uh what it what it means i'm i'm just happy we're getting a bunch of vince coleman references i love there you go i i was a big uh stratomatic player back in oh, the day yeah. as i was growing up my brother and too. my father had it and i just remember the cardinals team is just triple a steel 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 tommy her I, I, <laughs> I, I i remember uh peak pedro martinez's card like Ooh. there was only you had to i forget what you had to roll to get a hit off of him but you basically couldn't get a hit off of him like it, it was right. so ridiculous pedro martinez's card at his best back of the cards or front of the cards i can't now now, now, i'm too old to remember that kind of crap come on well the back of the cards had verse lefties and verse yeah no no no. i i I played the advanced yes the i called it the the advanced version yeah 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 (laughs) i think as i got older i realized oh shit this is you definitely have to flip the card and play it and play the other side yeah that's right yeah and what's great i didn't realize obviously when i was younger when i was seven eight years old wasn't looking at these things but um when i look at the cards recently i'm like man you know these 1980s cards had on base percentage and um you know i wasn't looking at that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i was just looking at the speed and home runs you it's, know? it's true it's true i mean in an era of dumb baseball 1980s baseball and i loved 1980s baseball but it was still very old school like home run batting it's the, the right. roto categories back of the baseball yeah. uh stuff stratomatic was way ahead of its time in terms of what it was actually valuing like it, it was earl weaver uh type of baseball in terms of being smart stuff yeah absolutely 100 percent. all right the main event strategy section um you are the 2016 main over overall winner are correct you, you, did, did i win the main overall i can't i, I can't re- i can't remember but if you say so i'm certainly not going to correct you on your own podcast for, for that kind <laughs> of uh, uh claim i did fantastic awesome so um so, so walk me through the you know i guess um the first step in you locking down your KDS spot, what are you looking to do in terms of setting your KDS? And then once you get your KDS spot, what are you doing from there? Um, so for the, for my first draft, uh, this weekend, I ranked spot 10 first and I got spot 10, uh, Mm -hmm. which tells me nobody else wanted spot 10, uh, is probably the thinking. Um, I, um, and again, I'm far from unique, uh, at this, uh, I build my KDS off of starting pitching. Uh, and how I want to attack starting pitching and to a lesser extent, uh, relief pitchers and, um, and go from there. So I wouldn't take from that, that I'm taking a starting pitcher with my first pick or even my second pick. It may vary some, some years, uh, it, uh, so in 2016, when I made, uh, when I won the overall, um, there were two or three starting pitchers I liked who were going to be available. I picked from pick 15. So I picked at the back wheel and there were two or three starting pitchers. I liked, uh, 
at, at the one, two, and there were two or three starting pitchers that I liked at the three, four that I thought were going to be there. Obviously in the main starting pitching always uh, gets pushed up, but I thought the likelihood that one of the two or three were going to still be there at both of the turns were pretty high. So 15 felt comfortable to me that it wasn't going to be disaster. I wasn't going to be pushed into a position where, uh, I was forced to deviate substantively from uh, what I wanted to, to execute. And right. that's how I typically um, go about it is I, you never want to have, if I don't get each of the following eight players in the first eight rounds, then I have screwed everything up and my draft is, uh, is done yeah. uh, and and i people laugh and nobody goes in saying i shall get all eight players but i think some people do uh i think some people go in saying i want walker bueller in the second round at pick 13 and it's, if i don't get walker bueller oh shoot no i will get walker bueller how do i know get, i'm gonna get walker bueller because his adp in the last three weeks two weeks of draft champions uh says he's going 18th overall and what are the odds that somebody's going to jump him four picks, five picks, and I'm going to miss out on Walker Bueller. It's just, right. it's, it's not going to happen. I shall get Walker Bueller and everything else will fall into place. And then as, as you mentioned earlier, Walker Bueller goes to pick before you and you're standing there saying, Oh wait, but I only had the one. It was, <laughs> it was called, in fact, I wrote it on the top of my piece of paper. It's called the yeah. Walker Bueller strategy. And now <laughs> I, I, I named my team, the Walker Buellers. Like it was all built. I, I'm wearing a Walker Bueller jersey. Right. And, 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 and now Walker Bueller is on team 14 and I'm team 13. And like, how can I rename my, my team? Uh, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, you don't want to be that guy. Right. hundred percent. And I'm obviously, uh, obviously that's um, absurd and nobody does it, but I think some people sort of do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You can't hinge your hopes on, uh, on, on that one guy. <laughs> yeah. On Walker Bueller. So you mentioned ADP. So obviously I know your draft is Saturday, minus Saturday morning. So um, what, what are you, what are you trying to capture from, and are you using any ADP leading up to this? Are you using draft champion, using online championships, are you using a two week span, a one week span? So, so I, I run uh, until there is main event uh, ADP, which mm -hmm. by definition for our drafts on Saturday, we shall have no main ADP. Right. Um, I use the last two weeks of DCs, mm -hmm. and uh, I, there is a, formula if you have the baseball hq forecaster yep there is a formula i can't tell you what page it's on um because again i'm not rain man that uh, it's just a very simple formula <clears throat> that creates a standard deviation based on adp um uh, average pick and min pick that will tell you based on any pick you plug in what the likelihood of uh, a player being there based on the adp at that pick so Walker Bueller, for example, whatever his ADP is, you put in, I want to take him at pick 19. You just type it into a spreadsheet and we'll say 43% of the time he'll be there. Now, two things. Uh, when I say that he's going to be there 43% of the time, it means he's not going to be there 57% of the time. <laughs> uh, uh, some people forget that. They see, right. they, they see 
this player should be there 90% of the time. And they forget that if we ran this draft 10 times, he wouldn't be there one time. So don't get pissed off when he's not there. You knew that there was a chance he was going to be there. And two, uh, all ADP is rear view looking. It's not forward looking. So right. it's not it's not useless. It's incredibly useful. But it's it's be very careful what it's trying to tell you. It's not telling you what will happen in the next draft. It's just telling you what has happened in the last two weeks of draft champions leagues. There are different leagues. There are different players. There are different things that go into it. There's no fab in those leagues. So all of these things are different, which doesn't mean they're not useful. It is very useful for me to know that in the last two weeks, this player has been there 43% uh, of the time. It's useful uh, for me to know this player that I want to draft in the fifth round on Saturday um, has never gone that early is a, therefore by definition based on what has happened there's a hundred percent likelihood he would have been there because i would have been the earliest so just logically he would have been there in any of these uh drafts which doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to take him in the fourth round got it yep uh, but but people who dismiss adp uh it's like, why wouldn't I want more information as opposed to less information? Correct. You just need to use it correctly. Correct. If you, for especially everybody who's played the main event knows this. If you're going to play the main event um, for the first time, you will be surprised where starting pitchers go. And you've heard this. If you've listened to podcasts, if you've read stuff, it will get pushed up. Starting pitching will get pushed up in the main event it happens every single year and the fact that starting pitching has already been pushed up this year more than uh previous years will not matter you will be shocked at guys who are going half a round full round earlier than they have ever gone before um closers are going to get pushed up it happens every single year but it doesn't unlike starting pitching in my experience it doesn't happen as uniformly with closers as starting pitchers. What I mean right. by that is closers in live drafts are, are often reactive as opposed to mm. proactive. So what happens is people go in with less of a, I want two starting pitchers in the first five rounds. I'm going to wait on starting pitching and take three starting pitchers between rounds four and seven. It's less that it's more. I want a pretty good closer by the first break. And maybe it'll be round seven. Maybe it'll be round eight. Maybe it'll be round nine. It depends where I'm drafting. So if it's, if I'm, if I have a pick in the middle of the draft, if I'm between picks, call it six and 10, um, I can play the, uh, the let's, you know, uh, let's say I'm at pick six and we're going into the turn, uh, at round um, six and team two teams in the first five already have a close closer, say Hader and Hendricks went top half of the draft. So there's only three teams there that do not yet have a closer. And let's say, I have five closers I, I, and, I, and my plan is I want a pretty good closer. And there are five. So three teams don't have a closer uh, five closers. I'm really happy uh, with five teams in front of me. Um, it's not a crazy decision going into that turn to say, I'm not taking a closer here. One of these five will uh, come back to me. Uh, con- but 
what happens is if three closers went and it comes back to me on the way back uh, in round like seven or whatever I, I, I said, then I'm almost certainly taking a closer. Right. Uh, right. Because I'm reacting yeah. to what the table did. But let's say it goes back and forth and snakes back and not a single closer uh, was taken. They all they all take starting pitching. They take they take uh, hitters. Now I have a tough decision to make as that team six, because there's a lot of picks uh, between me and it coming back. The flip side is um, like I want a good closer, but but I don't want to I don't want to spend what it costs. And I'd much rather wait another round because there are five players I like more than any of the closers. Right. So I either take one and maybe I start the closer run uh, starting back because everybody is making the same analysis pick by pick. Um, or maybe I pass and everybody else passes. And by the time it's coming back, that's when it's uh, starting. Um, so that's what I mean by closers in the main are really reactive. Everybody has the same information. They analyze it differently, but it's not like everybody isn't reading Rotowire until 30 seconds before the draft in terms of how the closer rules are evolving. Everybody, like nobody's truly punting saves in the main. They may say, I'm going to go cheap and dirty in, in saves and try to get guys, you know, later. Uh, um, oh. but, but nobody's punting. And if you're on the ends, so if you're pick one, two, or 14, 15, you can't be reactive because it's right. just too long. Uh, like you need to force the issue or you can get really left out. So there's that. And then the other thing in terms of closers, way more than the DCs, is it's not so much Hader and Hendricks who go early. It's not, it's not the good, the quote unquote good closers, or at least the early closers who go early. Who you will see go much earlier than ADP is the um, the guys right now who ADP says you can get in round 15, 16 are going to be round 11 or 12. Right. And where newbies, uh, people doing the main uh, for the first time get in trouble is they will go in saying, and again, I'm making up the numbers. So don't yell at the podcast if I'm way off. They'll say uh, Holland's ADP right now is 230. So that's round 16. I like Holland. I say hypothetically, um, he has the job. So I'll take him in round 15 and then in round 10 or 11 or 12, uh, because everybody's been pushed and I, I need my closer. I need my second closer. Suddenly Holland's not nowhere near you in round 15. And in fact, if you were waiting for round 15, you're either going to react uh, and, and push up somebody you like even less or, you're going to get nothing right. um, and not get a closer. So that's, that's a big difference uh, for means. Uh, and that's where uh, historically we've seen inflation. Now this year, more than I think in past years, there are unsettled bullpens as we're very close to real drafts right. that creates um, challenges and opportunities as they right. say. Yep. Right. Like the challenges, the guys who have jobs will probably be even more expensive. The opportunity is there will be guys you can draft really cheap uh, on Saturday um, who could be waived by Sunday or could be a closer by Sunday. Right. Uh, and both of those are uh, possibilities. Right. Absolutely. I feel like Jordan Hicks is another guy that, you know, hanging around and can just you know, really shoot up up the board if anyone sees another outing so Hicks, from him, or even though Hicks, he had a 22 at bat outing versus. Uh, uh, so Hicks is so interesting. So I agree. I yeah. think Hicks has got a ton of helium. Yeah. Um, 
is like Reyes is uh, looking crazy good. Yeah. And uh, so, so it's like, just as you latch on to, to Hicks as St. Louis's closer. And it's like, well, obviously it's going to be Hicks as the closer. Uh, they start talking about, well, maybe Reyes is going to be pitching late in games. And then he get then he closes a game and looks ridiculously good. And then uh, I was choking to, to, to my guys. I'm like, wouldn't it be the most Cardinals thing ever that everybody's on Hicks and they're spending like a 10th round pick on Hicks. And then the, 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 the real sharks are on Reyes uh, as the closer. And then like the first game, the cards have a two run lead in the ninth and whose music starts blaring. And it's Gallegos uh, who like walks out from the bullpen and, and ends up stealing, saving 38 games for the Cardinals. And it, right. was, al- it was always him, the closer. <laughs> that would be the, well, remember last year, people drafted Kim as the closer. Right. right. Uh, Kim was the closer. And and then it was um, Helsley was another yeah. guy that was in the mix, right? And then it was like, but you can't forget about Andrew Miller. I'm to, <laughs> his music can still come on <laughs> anytime. Right. It's all possible. The card Cardinals will uh, will play with our play with our souls. Right, absolutely. So yeah, that's definitely a good um, that's a good touch up on the relief pitching. So what are your thoughts about the starting pitching landscape? I know, like you said, it's been pushed up already, um, and you know a lot of people prefer that pocket ace route or you know getting the three in the first five rounds. What did you? What I know the landscape uh, of stats is completely different. But do you remember what you did when you when you won the overall your first uh, couple of picks? You know, it's it, it's it's so long ago, but it, but if you if you insist that I that I, I bring insist. it up, I, if, I, just know you've been because people will make fun of some friends will make fun of uh, me. You brought up the, the, that I won the main event. Uh, I, I did not bring uh, bring that up. Yeah, uh, no, I I I started so my first four picks uh, on the team that won uh, at the at the turn were Chris Bryant and Max Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Scherzer won, uh, won the, uh, the Cy Young and then Corey Kluber and Robbie Cano and Robbie Cano mm-hmm. that year was crap. Wow. So, uh, the two starting pitchers I nailed, like I, I you right. quite, quite literally could not have, uh, picked that year much better, uh, 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 pitchers, uh, Chris Bryant, I nailed, he won the MVP, uh, that year Robbie Cano was a dud and and interestingly because I know Phil mentioned this on the podcast uh last year or last week sorry um I had no speed uh in the first four picks uh in fact uh I I picked for my speed in the first 10 rounds the only guy who I had in the first 10 rounds who were going to steal me any bases was was a guy named Byron Buxton who was (laughs) on waivers who was off my team by August. So he had a really good September, uh, Byron Buxton, but it was not for my, uh, team. He was, he was long gone. So I drafted a team that had no speed, uh, through 10 rounds. Uh, I still finished top hundred in stolen bases. I can't remember the, how many points I got, uh, overall. Um, I got saved, uh, by two players, uh, Keon Broxton, and Hernan oh. Perez, uh, obviously for uh, um, free agents, uh, yeah. but uh, yes. So uh, I would not recommend uh, that approach. <laughs> uh, 
but in the sense in the sense that speed always comes in the league but everybody's looking for speed the likelihood you're going to get the speed is not uh automatic but it's a great way to do it if you can pull it off right right (laughs) Right. any any free loot that you can get is amazing uh and what it allows you to do is build up people under undervalue we've gotten so far people undervalue how important it is to get the high batting average high counting stat guys because they're incredibly hard to get there are more players who hit 20 home runs and steal 20 stolen bases than hit 300 330 130 uh and so when people say well but there's late power everywhere there is late power it's crap power comes yeah. bad batting average and low counting stats right. um it's like what phil talked about in terms of you can grind out runs and rbis right you can if you're streaming hitters the way he does uh you can you can you can accumulate that and it works for him uh, it has worked for uh for him um but but it's it's pretty awesome if you if you draft uh those uh stats because there are not that many guys it's amazing it's i totally understand it but like mike trout being dismissed almost he's an afterthought in drafts now why because his stolen bases are down i need stolen bases that's my uh construct it's like i i I need guys who can hit 300 with 50 home runs and mike trout can do that uh there aren't very many of them it's like Freddie Freeman. He's my untouchable uh, in the first round, or even if he falls into the second round. Why? Because he gives you no stolen bases. It's like, well, Freddie Freeman does lots of other things that are pretty freaking valuable and hard to find. Right. Um, the challenge is um, if you're convinced you need two or three starting pitchers in the first uh, five rounds, if you're convinced you need stolen bases in the uh, uh, first uh five rounds uh there's most of us only get five picks in the first five (laughs) rounds uh so like you 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 want to do all of these uh things and it's really tough what i have been surprised you asked about the question was the starting pitching landscape i going back to my point from uh two and a half hours ago um i i i have been surprised I understand intellectually when I look at 2021 coming off of 2020, the argument why the top starting pitchers should be pushed up and, and they're so valuable. Why Garrett Cole, well, Jacob DeGrom, well, Bieber, well, any guy who can pitch 200 innings with a sub three ERA and, and more than a strikeout per inning is gold and you should pay for it because you don't get them late. I get that argument and it's a very compelling argument argument what i have been surprised at is how monolithic the community has been at that being the correct conclusion when you look at the landscape uh going into this season i can make an argument it's not i don't want anybody to take from this that i am misleading people or that i am throwing people curveballs i am i'm playing devil's advocate uh here but that doesn't mean that i don't believe every word that i'm saying is true so i can make an argument that Coming off of 2020, starting pitching is more unpredictable than in any previous season. The volume that we're going to see from even the top starting pitchers, they can say, managers can say whatever they want right now, is as unpredictable as it's ever been. And it's not that the Mets aren't going to want DeGrom to pitch as many games as they can, or the Yankees aren't going to want 
Garrett Cole to play as pitch as many innings as they possibly can. Of course, they're going to want that to have happen. To happen. Um, we don't know how players are going to react because they've never done it uh, before. So we're making an assumption. Pitching has always been riskier than hitting. Like the, we go back to the Ron Chandler Baseball HQ first principles, and the stats back that up. Um, it's the the argument is not pitching is uh, safer than than hitting. The argument is early pitchers are safer than late pitchers. But it's been fascinating to me that given all of that, I, I think that it would not shock me if injury rate for pitchers is historically high this year and it's already really high. Why? Because of this weirdness and the ramping up and the all of that thing. So I'm not predicting it. I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Right. So from a, a, a simple risk allocation perspective, if you heard that and you had the decision, like, should I move my money into equities or into safer bonds? If I say, well, geez, equities are about to go potentially through a crazy risky uh, period, I should move my money more into, into bonds if, I, if, I, if it's binary. Like if I have to, if I have to put the $100 into one or, or the other, and instead, almost uniformly, people have said, well, I'm going to go into equities, but I'm going to spend it on the top equities. And there, there's, there's logic to that. So I'm going to put it into pitchers, but I'm really, really, really going to invest in the top pitchers. Again, I understand, but what if the argument is they're all riskier? They're mm. all going to be worse. It's all going to be more uh, chaos. Wouldn't the right answer, therefore, be put my top picks, my top auction buys into hitting more than pitching and get as many pitchers as I can, diversify late from rounds 15 to 30, take take like half uh, pitchers so that they're 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 low cost, high potential reward, diversified, fungible assets. Right. And the counter argument to that would be, well, but historically the return on investment uh, of those pitchers is way lower than the tar- top uh, pitchers. And that's true. Like the likelihood that you get a top 50 pitcher from the top 50 pitching pitchers drafted is has every year been higher uh, than pitchers taken uh, later. Um, but I've just been surprised that the counter argument, which is a plausible argument, has, again, I, I've been late to the table because I wasn't, you know, I, I, I'm not saying nobody has said it, but it doesn't seem to be like, I think you're a weirdo if you say these things uh, out loud. Uh, and uh, that's surprising to me that in a world of uncertainty that everybody has come to the same conclusion. Why? Because Toby was so successful last year taking uh, uh, early starting pitching. Uh, you know, again, Toby's awesome. I'm not making fun of Toby. It's, it's Pocket right. Aces is great. Uh, yeah. uh, um but it's just it's interesting to me uh how it's just kind of accepted that's the thing you have to do if you want to win um it's just interesting yeah it is interesting and i think it's 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 not you know we're talking about the whole team construct and it it doesn't end there right you know so toby picks his two starting pitchers but everyone thinks they get their two pitchers and they're good to go it's just what 
<laughs> you still got a ton of, of of things to you know to conquer and and to attack and i think that's you know uh such a big part of it and when okay. you go back into pitching right you know like you said you we only get five picks out of the first five rounds right so totally. when do you uh, get to deals when do you uh, go to right? so the other thing and i, I wrote this up at rotowire as well is um So I think that if you accept that uh, starting pitching, starting pitching innings have been on a steady decline. Uh, This isn't a new phenomenon. It doesn't start with COVID. It doesn't start with 2020 into 2021. It's been on a steady decline. So some people look at that and conclude, therefore, the pitcher who the starting pitcher who can go 120, 130 innings of really high quality innings like the Jesus Lazardo, if we assume there's a pit, uh, an innings limit or, or the Urias or, or those kinds of guys shoot up in, in, in value. And I totally accept and acknowledge that logic. I think that at the end of the season, I don't know if it's a third of the top 30 starting pitchers or 12 out of 30 or eight out of 30, a big chunk of the uh, top 30 starting pitchers are going to be what I call Rick Purcellos. And I don't literally mean Rick Purcello. Is Rick Purcello signed anywhere yet? I don't believe he's on a team. No, I don't know why not. Um, But what I mean by Rick Purcello is not a great starting pitcher. Um, but a guy who in a world of, of midgets is suddenly a giant who throws 185, 190 innings and gets, and I don't want to sound like a Neanderthal idiot, 14 wins. Wins are still a category. Uh, uh, and his strikeouts, um, because his strikeout rate, so all of us smart guys who use Sierra and K percentage and K, K minus walk uh, percentage is gross. But over 185, 190 innings, Rick Porcello throws two, 200 strikeouts. And suddenly his, uh, his volume, because he got you 200 uh, strikeouts, even though his strikeout rate is like 8.2%. And it's like, that's terrible. Uh, is is suddenly it's like my god this guy just like the math tells and his, his ERA isn't awesome it's not because otherwise he'd, he'd be a good pitcher his whip isn't uh, awesome uh, otherwise he'd be he's, he's not Rick Porcello uh, but from a valuation perspective uh, I think that there is going to be a major market inefficiency uh, with those guys the guys who give you massive volume the problem is those guys will be very obvious at the end of the season. You'll be able to look down uh, the Razzball player Raider and say, oh yeah, Rob was right. This guy was Rick Porcello and this guy was Rick Porcello and this guy's Rick uh, Porcello. Uh, he, he, he sure did nail that one. Uh, right. but, but, but you may notice, I'm not telling you any names because uh, <laughs> it's much harder now uh, to, to identify those. Uh, who, who are those guys? I think the most likely candidates. So if you're Rob, I'm intrigued by your Rick Porcello uh, argument, but Rick Porcello is not on the list and you didn't give me any names. How do I create such a list? Uh, I would look at every single pitcher in baseball who has thrown uh, 200 innings uh, in their career. Why? Because I think the likelihood of a team allowing a guy who has thrown 200 innings before uh, to, to go long 
uh, is higher than somebody who's never done it before. It's, right. it's, it's, it's actually, it's one of the silliest, but, but, but most useful rules I have in fantasy baseball. I hate paying for statistics that guys have never done before. Right. It, it, right. Like, like it, it makes drafting rookies hard sometimes, but, but Correct. players, players who have done something before are way more likely to do it a second time than somebody who's never done it before that you're hoping to do it. So if, if pitching volume is a skill, just create a list. It won't take you that long of everybody who's, who is active, who is healthy, who is on a team, who, who is a starting job, who has thrown 200 innings before. Some of them are going really early. Like, Hey, Clayton Kershaw. That's interesting. No, that's not who I'm talking yeah. about. He's good. Uh, but there's a bunch of guys who are um, gross and I am not, please do not take away from, this it's like so rob silver is telling me draft sh- shitty pitchers it's like no i like like there's a place and it has to work on an, a staff and and era and whip are also categories but i think that that this landscape is ripe for those guys to emerge and what's interesting is people are paying full cost for marco gonzalez because that's what he's uh become is he's not great i mean his walk rate last year was was ridiculous and if you believe that's real then 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 uh you should pay for marco gonzalez uh right. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical i think he's what he is which is a very very valuable pitcher for the seattle mariners he's a very valuable pitcher because he p- does pitch 200 uh innings uh like he's 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 amazing for that staff um you're just you're paying for um the guy who went pick 400 last year, I'd rather find guys pick 400 this year who may turn into Marco Gonzalez. Right. Right. hundred percent. And it, it's funny, like the, uh, maybe like a month ago, I, I was looking at Adam Wainwright's fan graph page. Right. And he had a bunch of 200 innings pitched in a row in 2000 to 2014. And then 2015, he had 28 innings, right. Pitched. He came back that next year to 198, yep. you know? So, the same thing in 2018. He had 40 innings pitch. He came back in 2019 for 170. So I like I know you're saying like the, the probability that some pitchers will take a big jump up is probably you know not great, but it's been done before, right? Um, so I think a guy like him is right. is, uh, is uh, so so I'll use an example, uh, and I do, do not take this as me recommending drafting him. It's just making a point. Uh, John Lester could pitch 200 innings uh, mm. uh, this year. They almost certainly would be unusable, uh, horrendous innings. But would it surprise me goes to, to, to accept or, or reject the theory and then find names? Right. But would it surprise me with John Lester's profile that he makes 33 starts? Uh, no, health health is not the issue. It's 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 what he's doing in those starts. But but no, I could accept that he will do that, and that that you know Dave Martinez is going to allow John Lester to go hump it out there for six innings, uh, six and a half innings every single start. I can accept that because that's the, they don't baby their pitchers. They're sort of an old school organization uh, there. Well, if he makes 33 starts and he goes six innings, just over six innings uh, per start, guess what? He's just gone 200 innings. If John Lester goes uh, 200 innings, even with his crappy um, like 
profile. Uh, he's going to strike out, what, 180 uh, batters, 175 batters? Uh, uh, guess what? If John Lester uh, strikes out 180, 185 batters, John Lester may be top 30 in baseball, 35 in baseball in strikeouts, mm-hmm. uh, 40 baseball. Like I'm, I'm pulling numbers a bit uh, out of my ass uh, here. Again, um, John Lester is probably the wrong example because he really was the worst pitcher in baseball in a lot of ways uh, uh, last year. Uh, but, 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 but maybe they tweak something and, and suddenly uh, right. he's, 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 he's not. I'm more open to the possibility that John Lester throws uh, 200 innings than, for example, either of Milwaukee's or any of Milwaukee's right. Uh, right. starting uh, pitchers. I just think the likelihood is, is uh, higher, right. uh, which, again, I, I, I would take Corbin Burns ahead of John Lester. It's my hot, <laughs> it's my hot take uh, for this podcast. This, this is why people are at hour four now of the podcast. No, but I think it, I think you made a good case. It's like even even a guy like Jose Quintana, you know, right? He's, he's four straight years of two hundred innings and one hundred eighty, one hundred and seventy, one hundred and seventy. He's only thirty two, but like you're saying, if he can if he can go out and make thirty starts in six innings, you know, per start or whatever, one hundred and seventy, uh, one hundred eighty innings, possibly. It's it, Jose Quintana is a great example uh, yeah. of him. He he was known as a an innings eater, right? That was his role. That's why the Cubs brought him over from the White Sox when they did. Joe Madden uh, knows that about him. A healthy uh, uh, Quintana. Like I worry about a six-man rotation there, uh, right. uh, maybe, and I know everybody rolls their eyes when you say that. It says six-man rotations never work, like it never happens. But they're gonna manage Otani's uh, games. Right. He is he is only gonna pitch like he's not. He is not Otani. We know is not gonna make thirty-three starts, even at, at his best. He's that that they they do not aspire for him right. uh, to do that. So so, but. All that being said, like, why would the Angels baby Quintana? If Quintana is able to go out there, will they keep him in games long enough? Yes. Like, so he is a great candidate uh, to uh, to exceed volume and to be um, perfectly mediocre mm-hmm. and perfectly mediocre over enough innings in this co- in this um, environment is hugely valuable. And the only other thing I'd say is what's the counterfactual if you're playing the NFBC main? The counterfactual at certain point, if you're competing for the overall, unless you've gone very heavy pitching uh, early, is you're going to be streaming. So the counterfactual to to what I'm arguing for is not sit around and and hope that like these, these kids volume up you're at a certain point going to be picking guys off the waiver wire who are um, let's just say worse than Jose Quintana because they have a two start week. So you're, you're, you're going to be like, I'm behind in strikeouts I'm behind in wins. I need that volume. Um, and um, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, right. I desperately want to avoid streaming as much as possible pitching uh, this year as I possibly can. The choices are going to be terrible. The results are going to be terrible. Yeah. Everything about streaming, starting pitching in 15 team leagues, 12s are, 12s are a completely different uh, ball game, but everything about streaming, uh, starting pitching in 15 team uh, leagues is going to be uh, horrendous. 
Right. I think we saw it on a, a, a Ryan Bloomfield Bloom board, too. We put some replacement level pitchers and the, the numbers were just, uh, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's 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 the results are going to be better. Like the, the, the earnings are going to be better with the high strikeout um, relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is so. So there, there's there's like three options you go for uh, for option door number one is this pitcher I've never heard of before who has a start in New York and a start like, and it's like, Oh, this is bad, but he has two starts. How bad could this go? Yeah. Option two is the high skill relief pitcher. And it's like, <clears throat> he's going to pitch four innings, get five strikeouts and maybe I'll get lucky uh, with a win or a save there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, so the good thing is I've avoided damage. My, my ratios are preserved. The bad thing is if I do that, let's say 18 weeks out of 26, this is my ninth pitching uh, spot. Every week that I get that good ratio support. So the, the, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're not making like a dollar each, each week. You're, you're, you're doing okay, but you better have the strikeouts and the wins somewhere else on your right. pitching staff. Cause you are falling behind every single week. You are, right. you are, you, you, you aren't falling as far behind as door number one. That one's killing you. Uh, but door number two, um, not hurting you, not really moving you up the, those overall standings. And door number three is like you have a better option on your team. And that is super easy to say in March. Mm. Here, sit in here. It's like I'm going to leave on Saturday with five extra starting pitchers on my bench. And I'm going to, I'm going to be my own streaming machine. I'm just streaming guys in and out. I'm going to be playing the matchup. It's going to be awesome. Um, Until three of those guys get hurt and, or, or uh, four of my hitters are hurt. And I have to start cutting those guys painfully one by one because I need those bench spots because I don't want to cut Mike Trout who's out for three weeks, but I'm not taking a zero uh either so in march it is super super easy in the main different from dcs though dcs obviously have their own challenge in terms of uh, attrition over the season uh but it's super easy to say so i'm not going to stream and i'm not doing the relief picture that's for losers us winners we 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 got the the better options uh sitting around it 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 doesn't work out that way usually right right absolutely (laughs) Awesome. All right. Let's close this podcast out with a couple of quick player um, overvalue players based on ADP. Give me a guy who you think is completely undervalued based on his current. Well, you you give me a player. I I, I want I want to hear some of your guys. You're taking everybody else's guys in. Uh, (laughs) I'll 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 give you one if you give me one. Um, I what I like. Mike. Are we doing undervalued or overvalued first? Undervalued. Okay. I'm going Mike Miner. He's one of my most undervalued uh, players. He, he fits perfectly into what I'm saying. Would it yeah. surprise me if Mike Miner pitches 190 innings that are uh, pretty pretty good uh, um, uh, innings? He's a great uh, pick because the reality is if you're wrong about Mike Miner in a fab league, the cost is nothing. So you wave Mike Miner. He's he, you've, you've picked him late. You're not betting your team on Mike Miner. So he's right. a tremendous, uh, tremendous pick. So I'll give you a trio of guys all going like a within trio. a 
Oh, I got uh, a one a for three. Not too bad. <laughs> uh, uh, within a clump of each other, but okay. they're the type of players that I think this year are, as a class, massively undervalued and and nice uh, nice buys. Uh, Justin Turner, Josh Donaldson, and Andrew McCutcheon. Mm, so yes. the the boring. Um, some could say, especially with the first two, with the two third baseman uh, risk injury risk, just because of uh, history. Uh, but at cost, you're buying rock solid skills still who are unsexy, and the unsexy, the unsexy veterans are always discounted in the NFBC by definition. If ever, if if starting pitching and relief pitching and speed is going up, something has to come down, right. and veterans who don't run uh, is is the victim uh, here, but this year, even more than that, because of the recency bias of 2020, those guys who are, have long track records uh, and people say, um, well, but I'm not going to win the main by nailing uh, Justin Turner or Josh Donaldson or Andrew McCutcheon in like the, the 13th, 14th rounds, wherever they're going. And my counter is, in some ways, this is a really simple game. Think in auction terms. You have twenty two hundred sixty dollars uh, to spend by the end of the year. So not at the end of the draft. By the end of the year, you need to get to $320, $330 of value. So 23 players on your active roster. You need to, you need to get about $3 of profit uh, per slot. But the problem is a bunch of your picks are going to be friggin' duds, like guaranteed you will have duds out of your draft so you need to get like some doubles uh you need to get some home runs and you need to fix some things during the season just roster Mm -hmm. slots and therefore i disagree if you say well but but you know nailing justin turner is not getting uh, me anything and i'm like if the if the 14th pick is worth 10 bucks or whatever it's uh, worth. And Justin Turner uh, earns $15 or $17. Josh Donaldson in 2019 was, was a top 75 player, not hitter player uh, in baseball. If you get that out of the 14th round, you haven't won the draft, but, but a six, $7 profit on your 14th round pick is massive. Like that covers, that covers up your dud in the fourth round uh, in some ways. Uh, So you need to hit those doubles. That did that, that I had a Justin Turner last year um, in uh, 210, 212 in my DC team and Jordan Alvarez didn't play. (laughs) And And, and he fixed it. And he fixed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I make total sense. I'm right on board with you there. And I've heard you um, talk about those um, Donaldson and Turner on a couple of podcasts where it totally makes sense. Yeah, those guys, they could definitely provide a ton of value at that bottom of the um, draft. 200 is, is pretty solid. Um, hmm. All right, so how, I'll give you an overvalued guy. Even as sure. a Met fan, I'm going Francisco Lindor. Um, Interesting. What's, yeah. what's your anti Lindor? I, I have been trying to convince myself on if I do end up with like a, a 15 uh, turn pick on why Lindor is a solid uh, pick there. I have been unable to, but why, why are you down on uh, Lindor? I just think that his skills have just been slightly, de- you know, his slightly decreasing. I don't like the, um, like you mentioned before, if he leads off, um, batting in front of the pitcher, you know, stuff like that. I think that's going to add up to him. And um, 
I don't know the way I bucket my players in in skills. He he just doesn't scream like top two roundish to me. I think there's a couple of players that can get later on that can give me like in the range of outcomes what he might. And um, I don't think he. I hope so as a Met fan. I just think that his 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 batting average doesn't look like it's going to be like um, special anymore to me. But um, I don't know. I I could be complete. I want him to be just good enough that the Mets win. <laughs> I just don't think in fantasy circles he's going to make as big of a splash as people are expecting. Uh, I'll go with a, a, with a homer pick then, too. Uh, I'm fading uh, Kevin Biggio. Okay. And I like I like Biggio. Uh, it'll be interesting at where his ADP ends up in the mains. Uh, so first off, do not draft him on the assumption that he's batting at the top of the lineup because of his OBP. I think he will play 30% of the time batting second. I think Springer will be in the lineup every single day and be the leadoff hitter. I think BGO will play at the top of the hit at the top of the lineup some games, but it's take, take the under. And if he's batting seventh, uh, his, his value takes a massive, massive hit there and there alone Uh, Two, and this, this applies to Bo Bichette uh, as well. I worry about how much the blue Jays are going to run this year. Mm. I don't, I don't worry as a blue Jays fan, I could care less uh, how much they run as a fan, but if I'm drafting um, Biggio, I am buying 20 stolen bases like that. You, you don't buy Biggio uh, in, in batting average leagues. This is only batting average leagues. OBP leagues. Uh, I have a totally different uh, take obviously on him, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, in a batting average league, you are buying him because you need the 2020 right. and the 20 home runs. I'm, I feel pretty confident about uh the 20 stolen bases could be there and don't tell me how successful he's been 20 uh, for 20 <laughs> uh running um first off that's fluky uh yeah. he's not that he's not a good base stealer but like that's he, he will he will get caught uh he is he is he is not the greatest base stealer of all time um but um Kevin Biggio with 10, 12 stolen bases is just a different player because then suddenly he's this low batting average middling home run with a bit of speed. And if he's, if you're getting him in the 15th round, it's like, holy cow, I just found a 2010 guy uh, with a bad batting average, but I'll make up for the batting average somewhere else. Uh, But if you're taking him where you're taking him, uh, you need him to do things like that. So there is so much downside with him, with the batting average, with, with the, the stolen bases and with the counting numbers going down and the plate appearances going down. I also think people haven't fully wrapped their heads around this. The, the Blue Jays are going to be a little bit like the Dodgers. And by that, I mean, um, and we'll, we'll wrap up after this. Uh, they, they have certain players who will play, if they're healthy, every single day. So Springer shall play every single day when healthy. Um, right. Bo Bichette will play every, more or less, 155 plus games. He'll get the odd Sunday off, but we'll play every single day. As long as Vlad doesn't start struggling, Vlad, they want to play every single day. And then it starts going down. And I don't, but like, don't misinterpret this because then people get angry at me. Are you really telling me if Teoscar Hernandez has a 145 WRC plus that they're going to start benching him? I'm like, I'm not saying they're going to not play him most days, 
but they're but it it's like the Dodgers. It's like when healthy Bellinger plays every day, Seager plays every day, Turner when healthy plays pretty much every day ish. But then it's just like you play five days a week, you play six uh, days a week, and you start mixing and matching guys. Right. And Biggio, because of flexibility, but also just profile, he's going to lose some playing time uh, at at some point, especially, and this is still an open question, if Vlad can play third base. Like if right. Vlad can play and they want him to play third base, not every day, but once a week, uh, guess who's not playing on that day many times? Uh uh, Mr. Biggio. So all of those things combined makes him a very easy uh, fade for me. Still love him as a guy and I'm happy to have him on the Jays, but not a great fantasy pick at his cost. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Before we wrap it up though, I have a question I didn't write down for you. I want to know, you have a crisis, your main event about to start, you have a crisis situation, right? Who do you get on the phone and say, Hey, I need you to draft my team for you. I have a situation. Who are you calling? It depends. It's a, it's a, it's, hey. I, I love the hypothetical, but I need a clarification. It depends the what the cri- <laughs> No, 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 not, okay. not that okay. at all. Uh, it depends. It depends on um, what the crisis is, because who like the the people in the <laughs> NFBC who I I would call their first question is, "My God, Rob, what's going on?" If it's like I'm locked in my hotel room, uh, handcuffed to the bed, naked, and I can't get out. Um, there are only some people that I could say that, uh, to, uh, and, and so it really, where, as opposed to like, I'm, I'm dealing with some serious, uh, family stuff. Uh, so it, it depends what the crisis, uh, is, uh, in terms severe of, case uh, of diarrhea and you can't get out of the um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll be all, but, but I, that that's, I'm not trying to dodge the question. Yeah, no, so no, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mentioned the, the three names, uh, Modica, Vlad, uh, and, and Genstad, uh, I think they're all three of them. They're all three better, uh, fantasy play. Like, I mean, cause the cop out would be, I'd call Casey Chaw and, and be like, Hey, Hey, you've, you've, you've won more than, <laughs> than anybody. Yeah. Uh, could you, do you mind drafting, uh, for me? And, uh, and he's, he's brilliant, but, uh, it, it'd be, I don't have his cell phone number, so I don't even know how, <laughs> how, how I'm getting in touch with him. Um, so, so the th- my three buddies, uh, are all brilliant fantasy uh players what i would say is if i was in that crisis um vlad is a brilliant player people only like he every conference uh he seems to get onto the fab panel as if he's and he is the fab uh, having part i partnered with vlad uh in the platinum league the fifteen thousand uh entry nfbc uh for true psychopaths and doing as his partner uh, he is really good at fab. It's not just spin, uh, right. but he's also a great, I mean, he's a great drafter. He's great at everything. Um, but Vlad and I see players really differently. Like I, he, we, 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 it's, it, it, it worked as a partnership, but, but I'd worry he would draft like a, a bunch of guys. I don't want to name names, but guys, I know he loves that. I don't love, right. um, I Modica would take direction. I mean, it depends what kind of crisis again, if the house is on fire and I have 30 <laughs> seconds to explain to him uh, who I want and what I wanted to do. Um, but, but Matt has really strong views too. Um, whereas I think the likelihood of me coming out with a great team out of this draft and a team that I'm comfortable with, uh, I picked, 
Scott Jenstead, and he's uh, like he's not as um, flamboyant on Twitter as some of the others, uh, mm-hmm. but he is as good a player as there is in the NFBC, and his success rate in terms of winning leagues is uh, wild. Uh, he yeah. doesn't play the volume that some other people play. He has two, two mains every year, but he is uh, an extraordinary player. So I'd be thrilled with any of the three drafting my team, ultimately. Uh, but I think I'd pick Scott Jenstead if, uh, in this crazy hypothetical of me uh, missing a draft. <laughs> awesome. Now, cool. but he end. would kick the shit he would make fun of me for years and years if it was something embarrassing so all three of them like all three of them it would become ridiculous if i said like the uh, guys this is happening i need one of you to do this uh they would do it but they would make fun of me forever and i would deserve it to be and you (laughs) and i think i think you you definitely nailed it with just having a bunch of guys that you trust and you could bounce ideas off of because it's, this year I've, I've, I found that, you know, with a couple of people and it's just great just to, just to like hear if you're crazy on something or not, or just to bounce, like you said, bounce ideas off of and totally. it, 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 it helps. At the end of the day, you have to make the own, your own call. It's your team. Right. No, nobody's 100%. running the team except for, from, from me. Uh, but it's great. And like, look, it's been a long year for lots of us uh, dealing right. with lots of different things. And it's also just fun having people you can talk about this hobby with. Like, that's that's why we do it. The money's great, but it's it's fun. If it stops being fun, you should stop doing it. There are easier ways to make money than this. I know right. uh, lots of us who have had some success come on and talk about big wins and all these things. If this, if it's not fun for you, if it, if it, when it becomes a pain in your ass, uh, find a different hobby because right. it, 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 it should be fun. Right. You're hundred percent right. Which is That's cheesy it. and corny. It should be fun, but it's true. Like no, the, the, it this, is. The, we play because we're competitive. We play because winning money is fun. Uh, but it's got to be more than that. The 26 long weeks of fab is is a grind. Uh, so if it's not fun, uh, find to play DFS. Yeah, it's over, it's over each night. <laughs> it's over each night. Absolutely, that's a great way to end it. Got to have some fun through all. The, so I uh, just before we we sign we sign off. Uh, by by my clock, we're at like. Uh, two hours and 15 minutes. Is that yep. about right? Yeah, um, about right. But I'm alone. So I think if we had a chess clock going and it was like Phil, Toby, and me, I, I think just like math-wise, I feel like I've spoken at least 50% longer than either of them spoke, <laughs> which God help the people who uh, have listened to this point. But uh, but this was a ton of fun. And good yeah. luck. Good luck in New York. Uh, have a blast. I am, Rob. I am Thank very, you so much. I am very jealous of all everybody going to live events in New York and uh, and Vegas. Uh, I wish I was there, and I will see people next year. But uh, but good luck to everybody. Seriously. Thank you, Rob. I hope to see you maybe first pitch at the end of this year or Vegas 100%. next year. Either yeah, either way, it'll be great. It'll be good to meet everyone. Hundred percent. You want to tell everyone where to find you on Twitter or what you're up to besides? Uh, uh, I'm 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 at. at at Rob Silver on Twitter uh, and on the Launch Angle podcast uh, each uh, each Monday. Great. All right, Rob. Thank you so much for coming through and giving us some insight into how to be a successful NFBC fantasy player. All righty, folks. Thank you once again for tuning in to another marathon session of Pull Hitter Podcast. Um, hope you're enjoying them. I know the length of them might be a little too crazy sometimes, but when... 
people want to share their time with me and continue to keep talking through their thought. Um, I'm not one to want to cut them off and move to the next topic. I feel like that's where we get the best best conversation, the best material, best insight into someone's mind. Um, then, So yeah, I know they're kind of lengthy, but I feel like the material that's provided within the podcast is well worth it. And I hope you feel the same. And obviously, if the podcast has been providing you with any help, um, I've been getting some great feedback and DMs. I appreciate everyone's feedback and reviews and just thoughts on the podcast and how it makes them feel and what it's done for them. So again, much appreciative. If you feel inclined to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that'll be great. It helps me out so much and the podcast helps other people find the podcast. You can even send a screenshot of your review to me on Twitter at DeadPoleHitter and I'll send you some Pole Hitter swag. And uh, you could also catch the podcast at PoleHitterPod. Um, again, thank you for tuning in. Um, yeah, here we go. It's just, just, this is it. This is draft time, guys. Dig in. Dig in. Get hot. You know? Just go at it. Just all you've been prepping for. This is the moment. So, um, smarten up and don't be a bag of shit.